RC Haley Nation version 2.0. I am Dan. This is episode 211, I believe. Yes, it is true. You are correct. Jesse's not with us this week. Nick's here, and your sensei in the blood sport of speed RC helicopters is here. Justin, (laughs) (laughs) well played, Dan. (laughs) I want to be a sensei. I just don't know what it is that I would be a sensei of. Well, you could be the sensei of searching for that extra four inches that you've been talking about. <laughs> oh. Bazing. Probably not very good happened. at it, though. Well, just keep trying, man. I will. Just keep trying. So here it is, one day after Turkey Day, Black Friday. Oh, yeah, dude. We're recording on Black Friday. I know. We're taking up Justin's valuable time of creeping the internet. No, looking for dude, the deal. I got this covered already. He's got a... Computer set up right next to him. So if Justin goes quiet, it's because he's he's getting ready to snipe a deal. I'm jumping can, on a deal. <laughs> I can just hear it. Oh, come on. <laughs> you said you had six of those in stock, you sons of bitches. <laughs> oh, that, yeah. yeah, that is aggravating when that happens. So how was Turkey Day? Good? It was good. Yeah? I ate pot roast. Pot roast. Yeah, dude. Not is that like an Italian tradition or something? No, it's just, you know, it's one of those things where like you get tired of turkey. What? Don't what? you? No. Tired. Dude, you only have turkey like once a year. Yeah. yeah how but, often do you cook a turkey? Yeah, do you guys, okay, now like, wait a minute. Let's, okay, it's let, Friday. Let's have let's, turkey let's tonight. Let's talk about this for a second. Let's cook a turkey for nine hours Turkeys so we can have a Friday dinner. freaking massive. Yeah. Right? So? You need like 10 people to eat a damn turkey. Not true. Not true, okay, man. Okay, well, you, then learn me, Dan. Okay, turkey, you just go get a turkey breast and you roast it. Plus. But wait a plus, minute. Then then it doesn't look like a freaking turkey. It just looks like a lump of meat. it's got to look like a turkey. It doesn't look like a turkey when it's all sliced up into little pieces and on my plate either. But it tastes like a turkey. Oh, and it is turkey. <laughs> and on top of that, so look. Then you have like four days of turkey sandwiches, right? And then with the other leftover stuff, like you freeze it and like a week or two down the line, you make a big pot of turkey noodle soup. You forgot that I don't like leftovers. That's an American, especially on Thanksgiving. Wow. That's what Turkey Day is all about, man. Well, okay. Then fine. Whatever. (laughs) Well, then. Okay. You're an American. So how did you uh, celebrate your pagan holiday then, Justin? (laughs) 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 With pot roast. Pot roast on Turkey Day. Yeah. Yeah, dude. You know what? It's about giving thanks. It's not about eating turkey. 
What? Dude, they have a big-ass turkey that goes down like some big street in New York. Of course it's about turkey. Well, you know what? If if a pot roast was pleasing to the eye like a turkey was, maybe they'd put that shit in a balloon. That's kind of like saying Christmas isn't about giving presents. Jeez, man. Oh, man. America. Here we go. You're, you're suspect, man. Seriously. S- says the guy that has an issue with Black Friday. Yeah, I do. No, I don't have an issue with Black Friday. It's the, the Black, Green Thursday and the Yellow Tuesday and all those other ones that I got a problem with. Cyber Monday. Yeah, what about I mean, Cyber Monday? You got a problem with Cyber Monday? No. no I'm cool there. But Why? I didn't even know, like, does anyone actually do Cyber Monday? Uh, I don't yes. really even do Black Friday. Because, like, okay, so Heli Direct does big Black Friday thing, right? Aren't they, like, an online retailer? So why would they do Black Friday stuff when I thought Black Friday was, like, for the shopping people and then the online thing was on Monday? So why wouldn't the big deal be on Monday? I don't know. It's hard to try. I am when you're not shopping following online. your logic. <laughs> and you put shit in space? Yeah. That's, that baffles me. I I guess what I'm not understanding is why does it make a difference whether it's Friday or Monday, dude? Because why have a day that's called something if you don't do anything for it? Right? I mean, well, but people do on Cyber Monday. Is there? You, you just look. A-Main and HeliDirect and Experience, all of them will have sales all the way through midnight on Monday. I guarantee it. Oh, yeah, but all the stuff's gone. No, yeah, they they'll like, like roll uh, out some new stuff. Will they? Axe. They have like Axe 400 parts. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not looking for like <laughs> freaking Raptor 50 parts here. <laughs> <laughs> I'll take your word for it. I mean, I don't know. You check. I think Cyber Monday is like all the crap that didn't sell on Black Friday. I agree with that. I I don't know. I mean, so so like here's the deal. I don't know how much you've been paying attention on Black Friday this year, but a lot of the retail stores have a lot of stuff in stock. Now, that could be for two reasons. One, they got smart and they actually carried more than one of everything going into black friday or no one's actually buying anything so nothing's going out of stock so you know the stuff will be there on monday i'm sure yeah Hmm. nick are you gonna do any black friday shopping after we're done tonight well yes i think i probably am oh yeah because i so justin and i were uh were up last night I I pretty much hate the human race at this point. Uh, anyone that wants to scam anyone. Oh, dude. Boy, I've got... What the hell? It, what happened? Oh. <laughs> I, yeah, I shouldn't say it. I'll probably criminally get myself in trouble. Oh, you have to now. What happened? Well, I found... Uh, was it yesterday... Uh, or the day, but yeah, yesterday morning. Yeah, it was yesterday. Uh, something popped up on Craigslist. I've been, I have it subscribed to where when anything pops up for photography gear. So I saw this thing pop up and it was like, oh my gosh. I mean, 
camera body, four lenses, all this deal. And they wanted two grand for everything. And I'm looking at this going, that's four grand worth of stuff. Easy. Easy. So I casually mention it to my wife. I'm like, this is absolutely ridiculous. This is four grand worth of stuff. I mean, that's really frustrating because for two grand, I could sell all of my current stuff and and be even money on it. And I, I shoot you not. She's like, well, why don't you get it then? Who are you and what'd you do with my wife? (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, I'm a joke. (laughs) Really? I mean, you just gave me permission to spend $2,000 on photography gear. She's like, well, if you can, you know, what what kind of timeline could you replace it with? I'm like, I I mean, two, three weeks? Oh, well, go for it if you think it's a good deal. And I'm just sitting here like wide-eyed going like, are you kidding me? What do you want from me? You know? I mean, this is weekend to put up Christmas lights and do all that stuff, which she knows that I hate. Um, but anyway, so I email back, uh, get an email back, go again one more time. And I'm like, oh, my gosh. So, you know, talking back and forth with this lady. I'm like, I will have cash tomorrow. Just got to get to the bank. We're getting our tree in the morning about noonish. I will show up cash in hand whole deal. And I mean, I called Justin. We we're looking at it last night. I'm pricing out all this stuff. Street value, it's climbing. I mean, used, like six grand. And I'm going, oh, yeah, buddy. Yeah, dude, it's like, it's literally a jackpot. He should have played the lottery if he And the lady wrote it. me back and she was like, ah, my husband passed away two months ago and it was just something that we did together. I don't, I don't, uh, you know, I don't foresee using it, and I think I'm going to end up moving, so I'm just getting rid of everything. I mean, totally, like, legit email. And so then, I mean, I'm actually, believe it or not, I'm kind of a human down at the bottom. And I'm like, oh, you know, wow, I feel really, like, I feel bad for this lady. So I was even going to go down to, and I'm thinking, you know, okay, what can I do? Um, I want to do something for this lady, Right. Like, above and beyond, just go buy the stuff. So I thought, you know, I'm going to swing down by the shop. I'm going to get her a gift certificate to work, to to my work. And then, you know, she can come in, get her car serviced and everything, like, on me. I thought that'd be kind of a cool gift, you know, nice gift, especially if she lost her husband. Y- you know, have someone to trust, that sort of a deal. So I'm all feeling good about this. Then I get the email this morning. Okay, so here's the deal. What I would like to do is set up uh, an eBay auction, and you can send payment, and I will ship. And I'm like, you motherfucker. (laughs) You dirty. And I just, I wrote back. I was like, you scamming son of a bitch. (laughs) Let them have it. I mean, they are getting so good. I just, yeah. It was really frustrating. So how does that tie into this? What I was, Justin and I were there when the clock turned last night looking at the deals. And I'm like, well, I feel kind of bad ordering some Black Friday helicopter stuff. I'm going to go spend two grand on camera gear tomorrow. But so, yes, now tonight I'm going to go 
Well, wait a minute. What you said was, I said, okay, dude, what are you going to buy for Black Friday? And he starts going down his list, Dan. He's got, oh, well, I could use this and this. And and I said, well, are you going to do it? Let's do it before stuff runs out. And he says, you know what? You know, I I think what I'm going to end up doing is waiting on purchasing anything just to see how this whole camera deal goes, because if it falls through, then at least I'll know I I can come back and just buy a whole bunch of shit to make myself feel better. (laughs) So that that is what's going to happen here. Yeah. He has Ah. to impulse buy himself out of this this emotional trauma. Yep. So what's uh what do you got planned? I you know, I'm gonna a bunch of parts. Well stocked up. So then all right, I'll be honest. I'm gonna be completely upfront. All the stuff that I need, like actually need there's need and want, right? Mm-hmm. I think I'm gonna have to go find want stuff tonight. Because need stuff, if I go down my goals for the spring, it's all stuff from my sponsors. So it's a waste of Black Friday. Uh-huh. And, and I mean, just, just being honest. You it's could like, well, lie to yourself and be like, dude, look at that discount. <laughs> Heli Direct is only given 15%. Yeah. Well, and it's, <laughs> you know, everyone is always like, oh, sponsor this, whatever that. You're not like rolling deep. That's not how it works because I can't throw down. I'm not in that competitive pilot league. So it's it's enough of a discount to entice you to spend money that you normally would not spend. That's that's really what it comes down right, to. Right, right, right. Yeah, so that makes it a little bit less exciting. But I think I'm just going to hop on and, like, I don't know. I don't know. Probably hit HeliDirect or something like that and just go buy some weird random stuff. I mean, I, th- I thought about, like, going after... Um. So maybe some tools, just kind of adding like some some cool tools. Justin was talking about the um, the Soko app, right? Yes. So that's something that I need to go do. Um, I was talking radio case. I'm still trying to pin down this radio case <laughs> yeah. thing. You need one of those. Well, I do, and I want a double. I want a double top loader, Dan. I want your radio case. The Futaba. Uh, you, I'll, I'll send it to you. You can have it. No. I, I want like a brand new one so that uh, the guys. I, I actually do have a brand new one. I bought two of them when I found out they weren't going to make them anymore. Seriously? Yeah. And you haven't used the other one? No, I haven't used it. Oh, oh smart there man. There you go, Nick. So I think I might be able to. Well, I think I, you can find them ordering them like out of China or whatever, but then you're not getting the Black Friday deal. But it says Futaba on it. You okay with that? Yeah, because I'm just going to have Ninja Wraps do a whole wrap. I mean, why not? Just cover right? up the futaba. Even if I have to mail it to them, you're just gonna put cover up the the V stabby and put futaba on your radio. <laughs> no, 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 <laughs> no, no, no. Hey, that futaba's been been serving me just fine. Yeah, which huh. I'll, I'll let Justin. Wait, are we on me now or no? Well, I might as well. I don't know. I don't think we were on anyone. So go for oh. it. Well, uh, I do have good news. Yay, they fixed my radio. Sweet, nice. is it back in your grubby little hands now? It's in root. It's in root? It's in root. I'm excited. Yep. What'd that run you? 
Uh, well, so we get a little bit of a team deal. They just do, they cost, they charge us for parts. That's cool. Yeah. Yeah. Really nice. Which I thought was pretty cool. Still very expensive. I mean, (laughs) it's, it is a Mikado product, but you know, so they charge us, I don't want to reveal the numbers because they charge us their costs on the parts. Right, Right. If I had to guess, I would say, and this is just a guess, I would probably guess it would be a couple hundred dollar repair. Moral of the story, put your, don't drop your radio. Put, put your, your radio stuff away. in a yep. case. Yeah. yeah. And I mean, yeah, of course, the big LCD is the part that I broke. It's not like a cheap $15 antenna or a $10 switch. Although they did put a new switch in it too, which was nice. So yeah, it's... On the way back, I'm very excited uh, about that to get that back up and flying. I've been dinking around with one of the competitions, uh, one of the 700s. I got the 160 installed in there, and I'm just kind of messing around, rewiring. Um, yeah, kind of going through everything one at a time. I know that I had mentioned it, and everyone was like, what? But... I am going to drop the 570 back and fly it on 6S this year instead of 12S. Why? Well, for no other reason, because it needs a new motor anyway, and I want to be able to say that I did it. I think you should be fine. Oh, or yeah, I'm not worried about flames. it. But I, I, you know, I really want to know because I, I want to be educated and be able to say that I've done it myself. So that one's just shy of motor, but I've got the speed controller in that. Um, doing um, because of like just in case going back to high voltage with it, I've got the hundred amp HV in that one, uh, running on the Hobbywing twenty amp external BEC. So that's how that one's set up now. That way, if I do decide to go back to twelve S, I don't have to rewire the whole thing or swap speed controllers. And then, yeah, flying flying the DT520 on the three digi, which was cool. Maiden went successful. No catastrophic failures. Everything's actually flying quite well. Hoping to head out to the field Sunday afternoon. How's the how's the three digi feeling, dude? Uh, you know, it's kind of hard to tell, like right off the bat, because everything is new. I mean, Everything is new. And I've definitely made some like, oh yeah, duh mistakes, you know, going back to on a Futaba, on the three digi, new model. I mean, it's funny. I'm going through, you know, the whole process and taking notes for the review on the airframe. And I was giggling about setting motor mesh. You know, pinion mesh. I don't even remember the last time I did that. <laughs> because <laughs> you just, don't have any mesh to set you just tighten the belt yeah i mean it was kind of weird it's like oh yeah i remember this It's kind of cool i gotta be like all you know it's just well, do yeah, you was, feel like you're getting your your sort of your tweak on since you haven't really been able to do that in a while now you know i or is it I one of those ones where you're like oh yeah this now i remember why i went away from it no not so much um it makes me, you know, the the 520 is really, it, it's built for a completely different market. You know what I mean? It's not, they did not come out and say, we're going to build a super high class top end heli. 
That's not what they went after. They went for, you know, economical and like reliable, low right. crash costs, that sort of a thing. So um, it, it makes me appreciate the, you know, the like the thought and the effort that SAB has put into some of the stuff that they do and uh-huh. their designs. But yes, it also does kind of bring me like back to the roots. You know, when I fired up the the three digi software, it's it, how do I explain it? So it's a flywireless system that they have had out uh, over in Europe, in Germany, I believe, right, Justin? Yeah, I think that's where it starts. Or yeah, they've started. got it out over yeah. there, but. Um, Danny at Demonero, they've been working on getting it kind of finalized, all the translation for all the software and everything, and just kind of polishing it uh, for when they bring it over here in the U.S. and release it. So I get this, uh, I get the software all fired up, and it was just like, oh my gosh, this is so weird because I couldn't read any of the footnotes <laughs> on the side because they were all in German. Right. And I, and I'm laughing at Justin. I'm like, oh, my gosh. But then like the main menu items were in English. And that's what was really cool about it is that I went through the whole setup while we were on the phone. I mean, we were oh, just yeah, it took a surprisingly short period of time. Yeah. And, and I couldn't read any of the notes. But, you know, flybarless systems have become so kind of standard these days right, with. Right. You, you know you're going to have a menu where you're going to match up your radio to the flybarless system. So, you know, I don't even need to read. If I come to a menu where I start wiggling sticks and nothing happens, I know I need to look for where to pick that it's an S-bus. Oh, hey, look, now I got stuff that's wiggled. I better take my endpoints and my subtram and match it all up to the flybarless system. Hey, what do you know? That works. Now to the next menu. You know, that sort of a thing. I know I've got to set my swash. I know I've got to set my tail throws. All that. It's all basically the same stuff, just done different ways. Yeah, which I was was really uh, impressed right off the bat with the software in the way that it's very user-intuitive. If I can go through and set it up and fly it without, like, oh, my gosh, we're all going to die, without reading anything, any of the footnotes at all, then you know that it's a good set of software. I mean, to me, that's kind of like I updated the firmware, no problem. I did all of that, no problem. So yeah, I am. I'm sitting there with the 14 SG and the you know the DT520 and the three digi and my laptop open. And it's like, dude, I feel like a I feel like kind of a geek again, you know? Uh, yeah, and, true. And it's. It's different. I'm not going to say that, um, you know, I'm not going to say that like, oh, my gosh, I got to this is what I want to go back to. This is my roots. I'm not necessarily saying that, but it made me appreciate both sides of the fence and how there is nothing that is, quote unquote, better than the other. You know, like like we were it's talking all about all different flavors. That's right. It's all different flavors. I really enjoyed, I enjoyed doing that. But then again, on the flip side, when I you know went to, was swapping out the ESCs and working on my goblins, it was like, okay, I really enjoy just you know automatically having the the 
dry belt tensioner tension itself, that sort of a thing, not having to do all of that stuff, the little marks on the head. So, yeah, it's just different. It was fun. I, I have I have enjoyed getting into this review and really doing it. So it'll be fun to get back out and uh, finally be able to have some decent weather. Our weather has kind of broke. It's pretty cold. Not Dan cold, but cold. <laughs> but um, it's it will be warm enough to fly. Doesn't look like there's going to be much wind, so I should be able to really stretch it out and have some fun this weekend. Excellent. Sweet, dude. It'll be warm enough to fly here in spring. <laughs> Seriously, dude. It's, for, it's always miserable here. Is it snowing anyway. already? Oh, yeah, dude. Wednesday, we got like six inches. Oh, dude. And then th- Thursday morning, it was... Yeah, or, yeah yesterday morning, it was... Minus five. This morning it was minus six. Yep that that's that's inexcusable, Dan. It is. It's, there is I mean, no situation in, in which like it this. is acceptable for the weather to be that way ever. No, no. I, I dude, every year I agree completely, one hundred percent. And when I can afford to live somewhere else, I will. I promise you that. Come to but Seattle. It just kind of rains. See, I think I'd kill myself if I lived over there. Why? I don't like the rain either. Oh, okay. Well, yeah, but at least you can walk outside and still feel your appendages. Can <laughs> get wet. Wet and rainy. Yeah. Not good either. I'm thinking San Diego, Arizona. Well, yeah. I mean, no, not Arizona, dude. No, Arizona is Arizona. freaking horrible. Flagstaff. Flagstaff? Flagstaff? Oh, hell yeah. And I couldn't do San Diego just be like, can we just take San Diego and move it out of California? <laughs> that would be nice, right? Yeah. yeah. Couldn't do Florida either, except in the winter. Uh, uh, I don't know. There's got to be some place out there. It rains a lot in Oregon, Hawaii. too. Hawaii. Not in Southern Oregon. Yeah? I'm telling yeah, you, Hawaii, Oregon. dude. Why it's too windy in Hawaii. It is always windy? windy in Hawaii. Windy and it rains a lot too. I do not do the wind. Nah, nah, nah. Is it windy in Hawaii? All yes. the time. It wasn't windy when I was in Hawaii. Nah, it's always you windy. picked the one day. Alright. It wasn't windy. Alright. I'll take your word for it. What happens when two of the best names in the hobby join forces to produce something special? I'll tell you what happens. Pure awesome. Brought to you by Burt Kammerer in collaboration with Jetty Radio Systems. The new Jetty BK Edition transmitter is sure to be the last radio you'll ever need. With a bright blue aluminum body, beautiful carbon fiber faceplate, and packed with heli-specific features chosen by BK himself, you'll love the new Jetty BK Edition. So head over to www bkdesignsllc.com between November 25th and December 6th and pre-order your new Jetty BK Edition radio for the introductory price of just $899.99. That's $100 off the retail price and you'll get a free radio case with your order. So head over to www.bkdesignsllc.com between November 25th and December 6th and pre-order your new Jetty BK Edition radio for the introductory price of just $899.99. So how about you, Justin? 
you been up to uh, anything? Oh, I've been up to crap. I mean, you know, it's, as Nick said, the weather has sort of broken. And I sort of feel bad now about complaining. I'm going to do it anyway, but but I'm going to feel bad about it because you just told us how it's like minus five and six inches of snow. Uh, The last, let's see here, two days, so Wednesday and Thursday, were clear, like literally not a cloud in the sky, no rain, all sunny, but in like the 30s and and 40s. So really in the grand scheme of things, not too bad. It's still chilly, though, because we always seem to have a wind around here. And so, you know, 10, 15 mile an hour wind when it's in the 30s and 40s, even with the sun out, that'll kick your ass pretty quickly. But uh, you know, last week, last week we were talking about dealing with the with the cold weather, and I had mentioned on the show that I had run into this heated jacket concept at Home Depot, right? So about two days after the show airs, oh, actually no, it was it was Sunday. I get a message on Facebook from a listener that you guys may know. His name's Chad Carlin. Uh, good guy. And he says, dude, I heard you guys talking about that jacket. I work at Sears in my local town and I've got them. Uh, I want to I want to, you know, basically throw you a bone and say thank you for everything that you guys do as a podcast. What's your size? I'm sending you a heated craftsman jacket. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> I was like, dude, seriously, like you do not need to do this. Wait it's a minute. Perfectly Wait a minute. fine. How does him sending you a jacket thank us? Yeah. Well, yeah. I, maybe I'm, I don't know. I, you're going uh, to uh, let us wear it when you when we see. <laughs> <laughs> I think he, yeah, so, I, yeah, wait a minute. Yeah, yeah. Hold on. This is messed up. No, I'm kidding. So, yeah, thank you to Chad. He, he he basically sent me one of these new 12-volt Nextech Craftsman hooded fleece heated jackets. And it, it went overnight. It was in my uh, mailbox on Tuesday. So I'm all set up and ready to go this weekend for final practice on OHB with this warm-ass jacket. And let me tell you, dude, it is warm. Is it overly warm? Like? You start to sweat and shit in it? No, no. I mean, you know, if you're if you're going to be like running around outside and being active, don't turn the heater on because, yeah, you will sweat. But if you're just standing there and I tested it out because we took my son out to a playground. Uh, let's see. That was earlier today. And, you know, a little bit of shade, a little bit of sun, but just standing there watching him run around like crazy. And yeah, dude. Uh, the even low and medium settings are perfectly fine. It's got low, medium, high, and then like ultra. Huh. And it actually, it feels kind of futuristic because the way you turn it on and off and change the settings. Did you clap your hands? No, dude. There's like a little, <laughs> there's a little rubber craftsman logo on the left uh, breast, kind of like a, a Star Trek communicator. And you just hold it. For three seconds, it turns blue. That means low. Then you click it again, and it turns white. You click it again, it turns orange. And you click it a fourth time, and it turns red. 
<laughs> they should have. They should have made it a clapper. Oh, yeah. And the little battery pack deal. It even has a USB port, so you can charge your phone while you're staying warm. Oh, jeez. This thing is completely badass. Anyway, so thank How you long very does it much, last? Chad. That's huh? the question. How long does it last? On high, I think it lasts about an hour and a half, but on low or medium, it's like three to five hours. And as you know, Nick, I happen to be a fan of Craftsman tools to begin with. So I already have like the wireless, the cordless electric drill and the impact hammer that uses the same battery pack. So I've got like three battery packs for it. Dude, that's awesome. (laughs) Yeah. Yep. I need something like that. I think you should. Dude, I really think that it would work for you, Dan. I bet you you could just hang out there in the field, you know, go back and forth in between your your trailer. See, that's the good thing. You've got a trailer to keep you warm. But when you're out there, it's just enough for a five or six minute flight to not freeze you out. What did we do after that? Man, it's been it's been a weird week. I've been doing some simming. Uh, haven't gotten any flying in yet because I'm saving that for Saturday and Sunday, basically getting as close to OHB as possible. Plus, frankly, I had some stuff to do. Uh, I had to re-solder or, or solder a new set of packs for the R5. So uh, today I've been slowly going through the break-in process on those on the bench. Gotten about an extra 5C out of them from... Uh, the pre-cycle C rating, so not terrible. They'll probably come in around, I don't know, 32, 33. Uh, I also ended up picking up some Arduino stuff along the lines of what uh, Alistair has put together on the RFID, the, the NFC tag reader. So now I've got all my hardware for that, and I have begun to mess around with some coding and and such to see if I can get it to integrate with the jetty. So that'll be a fun little side project. And then, of course, I participated in Black Friday. So, But you're not done participating. I, I'm not. I've still probably got a few more things to go. But oh I want to go, go ahead, Dan. Guess. Blades. No. Tools. No. You bought a Protos. Nope. I bought an NX7. You did? Yep. Oh, you actually did. Nitro, baby. Oh, nice. An NX7, though, huh? Yes. Huh. Yep. What, what? Just uh, curious. Why? Yeah. Well, the first and foremost reason is that I am superficial as hell, and I think it's the best looking Nitro out there right now. Okay. So I want good. it to be sexy. Good. Uh, That's a good the reason. The second reason is that... Jesse's already got an N7. Yeah. I don't want to start like an N7 fanboy group here. It's too late. Is it? It's too late because it just doesn't matter. I mean, you all have, except for, you know, you guys both have goblins. You know? I mean, does it matter, really? That's kind yeah, of fair. It, it kind of does. It kind of does. does it? Because I, but, you know what? I like I, having look, unique stuff. Okay, but see, look. I call bullshit on that theory. and I, I mean... I, 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 with electrics, all the options you have, you have Goblin, 
you don't really have many options in the nitro market. Yeah. That's so buying the same one as one of the other guys based on that alone should resolve you from any fanboy ism. Yeah, no, I think that's fair. That's I think it's a fair but point. It would be kind of cool, like in Justin's defense, since no one has then NX7, there is definite value in, in someone getting one to know. Yeah, I agree. And I'm curious to see how it all comes together for you. Cause I'm, you know, I went down the Gowie road and I just found it horrifically expensive to crash. Yeah, that's fair. I mean, I did but, for what it's worth. I have done no shortage of research as Nick can attest uh, I, I've done all the crash pricing and all that sort of a thing and looked at what people say about how they crash and all of that. Um, you know, bottom line, the N7 is going to be a much more expensive model to crash. Yeah. Okay. Right. And the synergy parts are just expensive. I mean, then again, when you crash it like Justin, you got to go off a of kit price, not crash price. <laughs> <laughs> I hope not. I hope not. But (laughs) yeah, I I mean, look, all of them have their challenges. Um, I knew if I went to the N7, it would work perfectly fine. No issues. Uh, Am I a little nervous about the NX7? Yeah, I'll be honest with you. I am because I have heard of people having challenges, but I've now got between Let's see. I've got three listeners that own one and are successfully flying them and enjoying them. Um, I've talked to uh, J.C. Zankel at Empire, and um, he's offered to provide some sort of tips and tricks and such because he really enjoys his. So I figured I'm going to give it a try. And the nice thing is, Dan, if it doesn't work out and the NX-7 is just a complete bust, well, then I can gut it and put all that in an N7 or a T-Rex. Sure enough. Easy, right? Sure. So, yeah, that's the thought process. Uh, NX- I, they do look good. I agree with you there. Yeah. I, and the I other agree. thing I really like, I mean, call me a nerd about it, but they're the only model out there that I'm aware of that has the, the fuel tank designed to sit directly under the main shaft. So that as you burn fuel, you don't get a shift in CG. Well, the synergy's like that as well. Is it? Yeah. Uh, I thought that it ha- it was slightly biased towards the back. Oh, it might be. Uh, I don't uh, know. It's directly under the main shaft. Nope. That looks pretty much right. Damn square in the middle under the main shaft. Okay. Well, then there you go. Never mind. <laughs> this one still has a cooler canopy. I would agree with that. That's the one thing I don't like about the synergy. That's the one I don't like either. For that. Oh, really? See, I I think this is one of their one of their better canopies. He's he struggled in the beginning with canopies big time. But they have consist they have gotten better and better and better. I don't so I don't mind. I don't know if I dislike the shape, but I definitely dislike the paint scheme. Yeah, I mean, that's easy enough to replace. It's so hard to say. You know why, Dan? Because when I think of like aftermarket canopies, I don't think of Synergy because I feel like all the Synergy owners like flying their stock canopies. Yeah, you don't ever see. You don't see like a Cano mod or a Fasuno. I mean, I think I may have seen one of the green and blue Fasunos for the NX 
or the N5C. But other than that, I don't think I've ever seen an N7 that looks any different than a stock canopy. Do you guys feel like the whole canopy upgrade thing is slowed down in general? What do you mean? Like, you you mean like custom or aftermarket yeah. canopies? Meh. I, it's hard to say. I don't know. I, I feel like maybe we saw more canopy upgrades back when everybody was flying a line. Yeah. Because there were so many of them, that's what we saw. Yeah, that's true. I, I, you know, I really don't know, but I know almost every helicopter I have, it's really easy to get an aftermarket canopy for. You know, I think it depends heavily on the stock styles, right? Like, how many, for example, how many compasses do you see with stock canopies on them, other than Jesse's? Ed's? <laughs> so, two? Yeah, yeah, but that's how many compasses I see total anyway. So. Okay, <laughs> fair point. <laughs> I don't know. Align had a stock canopy that, well, that I really liked, and I have a ton of them, and they're the uh, orange and yellow because they're my two favorite colors, and I never had to. I remember when Helipros was going out of sale or out of business, <laughs> you could buy those canopies for the. A oh yeah, a dude, like ten or twenty bucks for oh, a freaking yeah. canopy. And I did. I mean, ask Nick. When we were cleaning my trailer, there were like canopies laying everywhere. Oh yeah, yeah. I used to buy those. I used to buy a lot of them for the Nitro Seven Hundred. I I I think nowadays I don't mind the whole stock canopy thing in general because most of the manufacturers actually have come up with pretty decent styles. So yeah, yeah. I just have to get one that like the. JR red and white was horrible for me to see because it turned to black. Oh, really? Huh. So I had to get an aftermarket for that that had yellow and orange in it. I've never really, the the coloring hasn't ever bothered me all that much. In fact, up until getting a goblin, I mostly flew with the canopy off. But you can't do that with a goblin because it just looks shitty. I'm bringing it back. You are? I'm bringing it back. Okay, well. Okay, Timberlake, whatever you say. (laughs) I'm bringing no canopy back. Yep. NX7 is coming my way, and um, don't laugh, but I picked up a Multigov Pro. Now, get this, dude. 50% off. I'm the only guy on the planet. The bottom multi Yeah, because I still don't have a freaking governor on my fly barless system, Dan. <laughs> I've got like seven of those. Dude. But can you find them? Yes. In fact, there's one sitting right here on my desk, right here well, by my okay, iPhone. Okay, fine. Whatever. Anyway, it was 50% off. Are they, I mean, what are they going for these days? 25 bucks? No, they're going for 60 with the LCD screen. Oh my God. Remember, you remember we used to pay like a hundred and yeah, they're 120 bucks dude. or something. That's yeah. what I'm saying. It's 50% off. And then off. the LCD, the programmer was, I don't even want to, I don't know. Was it like 50 bucks Well, no, or I think you now? could get it like 120 for everything. Was that what yeah. it was? Yeah, yeah. But still, he bought one. He actually paid money for I mean, people are probably giving those away yeah. to, like, museums and shit. Well, hey, you know what? 
Don't make me run feel it as a bad about my limit? purchase, damn it. I got it for 50% off and no one else has touched it. It's shiny and new. <laughs> I can make one shiny for you. I can rub one out for you. Make it shiny. Thanks, dude. That's a little I'm creepy. Not supposed to say thanks. To that. <laughs> <laughs> so what else you got going on for Black Friday? Uh, exciting. Now it's just down to the engine, and I think I've already figured that out. I just haven't pulled the trigger on it. I think I'm just going to go with the Turek. Good motor. Yep. Yeah. Now, do you have like seven of those laying around? No, I don't. I've got one of those that's in a helicopter. Okay, see? So I, I didn't I didn't figure that was gonna work out for me. What about a three DS? I do have a I do have a couple three DSs that are in parts. Are they in good condition? Well, there's they're in sealed Ziploc bags that have WD forty on them and stuff. See, so that does not provide a lot of confidence that like if we did decide to make a deal and I bought one from you that it would actually work. Oh, sure it would. Come on, man. They're easy. Not when they fine. I don't want to sell you one, you son of a bitch. 15 gallons through it and you haven't replaced stuff. Do- no, no, no. They're brand new parts, man. Oh, brand new well, parts. then how much do you want for it? I got, I got, all I did was I took them apart and I've got the case and I've got new sleeves, new pistons, new piston rings, new eclipse, new wrists, new rods. And new bearings. That's a whole new engine. Yes, it is. I got two sets of those parts. All right. Well, let's talk after the show. No, too late, bitch. <laughs> oh, shit. I'm going to need those anyway. Something. For sometime. For something. <laughs> yeah, when you're when you're burning Coleman. <laughs> I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put one on an RC car. There you go. That's all I got. I guess that leaves me. And it's not really Black Friday, but some very exciting. Uh, This Wednesday, I turned in the final floor plan for a brand spanking new trailer. Holy smokes. I should get the final price tomorrow or Monday as the show airs. Yes. I didn't go too crazy. I could have. Um, Let's hear the stats. What do we got here? <laughs> seven feet by 14 feet. Okay. Two axle, two light duty axle. Okay. Um, I got it's insulated walls. I didn't do the AC this time because I rarely I did use the one that's in the trailer Nick has now once or twice, but it's certainly not $900 worth, right? That's yes. That's what it costs. Uh, insulated, three-quarter inch walls. Uh, six outlets. Very nice. A 12-volt forced air propane heater. Oh, nice. Wow. That's vented, all the good jazz, and plumbed. And that's really about it. I I found some interlocking um, eighth inch rubber uh, shop floor tiles mm-hmm. that I think I'm going to put on for the floor. 
And um, then I'm going to bring it over to Nick, and he's going to work his magic on it. Are you going to you're going to cut the sides open like the the oh, big trailer? Oh, that's coming. It's coming with that. Is it really? Wow, <laughs> dude! So you're yeah, going to have a taco truck too? I'm going to have a taco truck. I'm going to have an eight foot taco truck window. That's three eight eight feet by three feet, and pretty much at the same same height as yours, Nick. I. I absolutely love the taco truck. I mean, I love it. I think up here in the Northwest, it makes a lot of sense too. Because generally for our fields, we can, you know, we can pull right up to where we need to be. Yep. But being able to get out of the rain, you know, kind of out of the rain or out of the wind, but still be able to see outside. That's kind of the biggest thing. Uh, I almost, oh, I got an electric uh, uh, jack for the front end. No, oh, there you go. Because that just needed that. And then um, I almost got um, push button electric openers for that window. Oh, <laughs> dude, that would be awesome. But they wanted a lot of money for they them. They are a lot of money. Yeah, they wanted like 450 bucks. Damn. But it does have the hydraulics, so it's easy lift. And you only got to take them up. I can't remember what the travel, but after just past halfway, the hydraulics take over. Yeah. And then I'm going to have to come up with like a hooking system to bring them back down. So, I can, you know, when I reach them. Yeah. But, uh, no, I'm pretty excited about that because, you know, the only issue I have with the small trailer is that when the scooter's in there, which it pretty much has to be in the winter, can't really do anything in that trailer. There's just not yeah with the scooter in there with the scooter if the scooter if I had like like if I left my scooter at work which I could do but we have more employees now and I don't want to just because they I I've caught them joyriding it oh <laughs> you know uh, partly my fault because one you know they ask if they can use it to run out back to the flying field and I'm like sure so. Then they kind of feel like... Give them an inch. It's like, well, he gave me permission to do it once. I'm just expecting that one time I'm going to come in and it's going to be kind of what, you know, like you and Jesse did. <laughs> Mounting you know, a, a table. Yeah. So, can't really keep it at work anymore, but... now I'm excited. I, you know, I, I haven't... I'm going to do it. I swear to God, I'm going to do it. I'm going to pull the trigger on a gasser, but uh, my car needs to be replaced. And that's a fairly big expense because I don't, I was your, your commuter car. Yeah. It's dead basically. Well, it's not dead, but <laughs> I'm kind of wondering if it's going to make it much further. So I was just going to buy like a cheapie, you know, mm-hmm. Nick talked me out of it. Blaming it on you, Nick. Well, what hey, was I the mean, cheapie? A $2,500. Uh, what was it? Oh uh, God. PT loser. PT. Oh, PT dude, loser. I think I helped talk you out of that too. So I'm gonna end up. I'm gonna get PT a Hyundai. Sure, but it's. Pro- I'm probably gonna get a Hyundai Sonata. So pretty nice car. Yeah. And um, once that's all taken care of, I'll kind of have to reassess and then see where I'm at. But uh, got to get a car first before I get a helicopter because I got to make it back and forth to work. But you know. 
I, I see it happening. I still think I'm going to be able to meet that uh, mid-first week in December deadline. Maybe I'll, uh, well, I guess you can't really bring it back with you, but I'm going to definitely get it from from uh, Carrie. So, uh, you know, I mentioned it on the air and I've had a bunch of listeners send me, oh, I got a, I have a gasser if you're interested. Uh, do you guys remember, his name's David, I believe. He's the guy that was at Urcha when we were there and we all went over and had a beer with yep. him in that motorhome. Yeah, yeah. He's got a whiplash. That actually is a screaming deal, but I just don't know if I want to go down that road. Uh, and a couple guys have some gassers that I'm considering, but uh, gotta gotta start new. I think I want to build one, so we'll see where we go from there. Yeah, dude, do the um, do the E seven hundred conversion. That'll be yeah. awesome. Yeah, I think so. And then. I don't know, man. I got to get, uh, got to get it built and get flying. Of course, this weather is a little, uh, disappointing to say the least. Winter's here. I, I don't know. It happens every year. I don't know why I'm surprised when it finally gets here, but you know, minus six in the morning is just not, it's just, it's inhabitable. Yeah. I'm not sure that the, like the warming coat would help you. <laughs> it's just, it's like uh, walking the 50 feet from my front door to my car. I literally feel like I should call 911 first and say, if I don't call you back in five minutes, come get me. <laughs> because it's just, it just, it's horrible. And I just need, need to move. Come, I'll come live with Nick for a while. Hey, man, we got the room. That's about it. No flying to speak of. Been really busy at work, but things are really turning around there. So finally getting to some qualified help and um, making some business contacts and interest is being uh, interest in what we do is is starting to be brought our way. So we're looking forward to that. It's about awesome, uh, dude. You guys saw the video. Uh, they pulled the video down. I don't know. You Why did they the pull link. it down? Oh, I'm it's wondering if awesome I should throw video. my boss under the bus here. Oh, let's see. You absolutely should to. throw him under the bus. <laughs> All right. So there's a section in the video, and you guys saw the interview section, right? And um, I, I don't know why I didn't pick up on this right away, but um, you know, talking on the podcast every week. It, the only nerve-wracking thing for me about it was the fact that there were like freaking four cameras pointed at me at any given time, and that was horrifying. It was miserable. Horrifying? It was terrible, dude. It was literally, it sucked. But I I wasn't nervous. I just pretended like they weren't there, and I was talking on the podcast, kind of, you know? And um, But everybody else was very nervous, my boss included, my buddy, my partner, I guess, but he is the CEO of the company. And uh, you could just tell. And he made some statement about uh, when it comes to the parts that we're making, um, one thousandths isn't good enough. It's got to be ten thousandths. (laughs) 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 
that <laughs> Enter is software awesome. engineer. <laughs> you know, so edit. And they didn't, no one caught it. I mean, they produced this whole video. They, you know, the production company put it all together. The, the, the art graphics guy watched it and did all the subtitling. And, uh, you know, obviously he had to have watched it. Everybody had to have watched it. No one caught it. They put it on YouTube and it was on YouTube for, I don't know, two or three days. And I went ahead and made a link to it and almost like, I don't know, like half a day later, I noticed someone said, Hey, there's that link. It's, it's uh, not good anymore. And so when I went in, I was talking and it was brought to my attention that they had to pull it down to get rid of that clip. That's so rad. Uh, <laughs> one foot isn't good enough. We got to do ten feet. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so yeah, that was kind of fun, but definitely an interesting, interesting uh, few months at work. We'll uh, hopefully. Uh, I feel like things are starting to kind of fall into line finally. So good, dude. I'm glad to hear I'm, it. I'm still. Probably working more than I should be, but uh, I got a new machinist and he's really, really good. But he, you know, he needs some time to kind of get caught up to where we are, which requires me to work the weekends for a couple weeks. But so I've been doing seven days, but I've been only working for like two or three hours on Monday and Tuesday. You working tomorrow? I am. Oh, any flying? Dude, it's six degrees below zero. Can you just like, yeah, but can't you just step outside of your, like your shop? No, you were there. Remember to fly. We got to go all the way oh, to the back. That's true. Yeah, you're right. You're right. Yeah. It's like a 200 yard. You'll walk basically like, be have frostbite in your extremities by the time you get there. By the time you even get there. Yeah. Uh, we did. However, there is a, a uh, a hay shed or a part shed out there that they finished that does have electricity. I could put a heater out there or a propane heater. You got it, dude. Otherwise, like when are you going to fly next? Dude, even, even if I felt great physically, I at six degrees below zero, that shit ain't happening. I am not going to go fly in that weather. That's too much. I mean, I was looking at the weather forecast, and it looks like I've got about another week and a half of this temperature, and then it's going to kind of go back up to normal temperatures, which would be, you know, 30, 35. Okay, now that that you can handle. And occasionally hitting 40, you know. I mean, it's typically not this cold here. We always have one or two snaps where it gets cold like this for a couple of weeks, but typically it's it's not a full time winter thing for us. The snow is, but not this cold ass temperature. So it'll go, and we'll see what happens. But I want to concentrate on getting the trailer built. So it's going to take about six weeks for that to get here from the factory. Then I got to take it to Nick, and then no big rush there. So I, you know, it's just something that I want to have done by spring. Essentially. Dude, you'll drop it off in a week later. You done yet? You done yet? You done yet? <laughs> yeah, you Dude, know. Way, you know. You're the way, gonna... but, but the way you do it, the way you work, it'll be done. Well, I ain't got no time. 
mess around. I mean, it's like it's like I get tired watching Nick when I'm at his house <laughs> doing shit. It's like it tires me out just like watching him zip back and forth. I make the most of my days generally. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, when I was there last by noon, I was exhausted just watching him run around and he's like, "Shit. This is what I do every weekend." I'm like, "Oh, man. Not me." How about news? I don't news, have any Nick? news this week. I've got news. You do? Yeah, dude. Your testes finally dropped? Let's do it. That was last week's news. That was last week's news. Having a trailer full of new hellies isn't anything to complain about, but we're still talking about the same old dumb thumbing, triple sow cow, and Charlie Chaplin autoing pilot behind the sticks. Now, I'm not exactly easy on my helis, and when I need parts, I need them fast. This is where Lower Heli comes to the rescue. With a great variety of my personal favorite heli parts and batteries, no matter how bad the crash, I'm sure to be able to get right back in the air to do it all over again. Fly lower at www.lowerheli.com. news wait a minute this week's news is brought to you by superiority.com dude man larry dude man larry which we got to see a little teaser of the website yes yeah we did dude oh it's coming along nicely it's got some really really cool little detailed things in there it's gonna be awesome well, what is your news? Okay, this one's really crazy. Um, so I was messing around on Facebook today. Actually, no, it was yesterday. It was on Thanksgiving. And I happened upon an announcement from my buddy Chuck Burt, who's the owner over at Peak Aircraft. And he says, Minicopter and Peak Aircraft are proud to announce our new team pilot, Nick Maxwell. That's right. I saw that. He will be flying the new Diablo Black Edition at OHB. So make sure to come and check it out and welcome him to the team. Congrats, Nick. Yes, congrats, Nick. But that one, like, just completely caught me off guard. I I mean, did, did anyone see that coming? No. No. I'm still shocked. I mean, I think it's great. But so so does this what does this mean? I don't know what it means. Does it mean that he's still going to be doing Thunder Tiger? No. No, dude. No. We are proud to announce our new team pilot. Well, I know that, but maybe it's just a speed sponsorship. No, no, no. Minicopter does Oh, mini speed is actually a, a a minority of what they do. Yeah. I mean, they've got the 550. Justin bought one, but then did you ever even fly it? No. No, because the speed popped up. Purchased and I was like, owned a regular Diablo, minicopter Diablo, 700. Yeah, it's a badass heli. It really is. I guess I'm confused. I didn't know they did 3D helis. Yeah, they've been around for a long time. That's what Minicopter is known for. They used to have the the Jokers, and then they went to the the Diablo has been like the newest version in the last, I'd say, 
I think Diablo's been around for three or four years now. You know, they and, were like one of the OGs with the three-bladed head, too. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, for 3D, not obviously not they've got a They've got a Diablo 700. They've got a Diablo 800. They also have a Triablo 7 and 800. And then, of course, the Diablo Speed, which was the limited edition. And for the record, the Diablo Speed only came out a year ago. It was after the or two years. It was after the 2013 Urcha. He started taking orders and they started shipping in 2014. So it's pretty new. And then they just released the 550 about eight months ago. And at Urcha, um, the team guys were flying the new prototype black edition. Uh, you know, Clarence Creer, right? Yeah. Nick Clarence flies for minicopter. I did not know that. Yeah. And so I actually hung out with him a fair amount at Urcha and we took a look at the black edition. It's what Gerd, the owner of Minicopter, basically did was take the drivetrain from the uh, from the Diablo speed, put it in the Diablo 700 and then went super minimalist on the airframe such that it could meet the European 3D competition rules of being less than six kilograms. Fully loaded. And so How heavy it, it, six kilograms. Uh or is it five no, it's five kilograms. Sorry. Five kilograms is eleven pounds. So yeah, it is a beast, man. And now Nick Maxwell's flying for him. So there you go. That is news of the freaking week, dude. I have I more news. never saw it coming. I mean, I haven't yeah. heard even a peep out of Maxwell lately. That's pretty cool. What do you mean you have news, Nick? You said you didn't have any news. I found some. Oh. Yeah. Well. How about that? Lay it on me. Um, so Spartan announced, this is another one, didn't see this one coming. The Spartan Vortex Pico. Oh, yeah. This would basically be Spartan's answer to MSH putting out that little teeny micro fiberless system that they got. So this is uh, five grams. The Vortex Pico is the perfect drop-in replacement for your Blade 180 CFX. Um, very, very small. They have uh, the same optional JST to standard servo adapters that you can get to use them on like a 250 Oxy 2, Oxy 3 or something like that. Pretty crazy. Uh, I mean, wow. Vortex Pico is compatible with all popular radio brands that offer one-wire receivers or it can directly use a Spectrum satellite. It's got the whole deal. Governor flight mode switching, logging, and it's uh, high-voltage compatible. Hmm. Nice. For those of you who sm- fly the small ones. Yeah. It's... it's oh. It's weird. I mean, I think it's cool, but it's just kind of odd that they came out with this now. That's all. It doesn't really seem to hit like a... <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? It. it yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it, I have no doubt it'll be a great little unit. I'm just... Like, the marketing side of me is like, hmm, is there a new heli coming out? Usually that's kind of the way that works, is it? A component comes out 
directly on the coattail of a very successful heli to make it even better. But, you know, yeah. 180CFX has been out for, it's kind of old news now. So, you know, I don't know. A follow-on on that, Nick, uh, I saw a post on Facebook from Angelos that the new uh, Spartan Vortex firmware now includes a speed mode. Yeah, I heard about that. So apparently, and for the record, I know nothing about Spartan, so I'll probably say this wrong, but apparently there's like a style slider in there, and if you run the style slider all the way up to 100%, then that puts you in speed mode, which I suspect means it sets a, a bunch of the head and tail parameters to something that is more tuned for speed, and then you can go and tune your gains from there. Yeah, they they went through. They added a multi blade in the speed modes. Um, the electric governor. I've been pitching them shit for quite a while. Uh, the electric governor uh, with the soft start and auto bailout is now actually in this one, and um, you can do the independent uh, governor gains and everything for the flight modes. So the governor can be separate from the flight modes. I know that was kind of a an issue before as well pitch and throttle curves and they went back in my personal one biggest complaint it appears as though um it's addressed i was never content with the tail and the pyro consistency and i know for a fact that that was something that they went in and is now updated i've flown it so i can't tell you that it's quote unquote fixed but I do know that there's a direct address just to that here. So that's really cool. Before we move out of news, did you guys get that email from Andy talking about, remember how we were like, there's really no events coming up? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. We I did. Do you have that handy? I do. Right <laughs> I here. do. So this is from Andy from Soko Heli Tools, of course, down in New Zealand. And what he wanted to let us know is that there's going to be a Down Under Heli Smackdown, the D-U-H-S-D, in Hamilton, Dust. New Zealand. The Dust. 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 Uh, in Hamil- I like it. It's got a ring to it. The Dust. The Dust. In Hamilton, <laughs> New Zealand, the weekend of the 6th of February, 2016, apparently Hamilton is a short drive south of Auckland. Uh, Bert Kammerer and Kyle Stacy will be traveling there. Oh, nice. So I think this is going to be a pretty damn big event for New Zealand and Australian uh, people. So, uh, yeah, check it out. Thank you for the correction, Andy. Of course, there's stuff going on down under. I mean, our winter is your guy's summer, right? So I'm sure yeah. there's all sorts of great stuff. And, of course... Andy, Soko Heli Tools, supporter of RC Heli Nation. Thanks for your support, buddy. And if you guys are looking for a setup tool, he's the man to give it for you. It's it. We're going to get into that, too. is the shit, people. Okay? Yeah, so- Suck it up. Yeah, the instructions sometimes can be rough if you've never done it before, but go through it a couple of times, and you will recognize the skill that is the Soko Heli Tool app. Justin has officially challenged me. He, he he challenges me. He says, okay, here's the deal. Since I'm obviously going to be doing a bunch of new setup and stuff with everything that I got going, 
I am going to because I tried it once and I didn't care for. I love my Soko tool. the The actual Soko tool is the shiznit. It, it's it can't be beat. Um, but I wasn't quite on board with the app. Justin said, "Yes, that's because you just got to learn how to use it. But once you learn how to use it, then it's right there with the tool." So I'm going to have him go through and show me his little tricks or whatever. I'm going to try it. So I will let you guys know next week about that. Woo. Should write a, you should write a tech tip on that. Yeah, I, I think it's I definitely worthy it. of a tech tip. It's I would really agree. Not, I think, you know what? The, the tech tip would say one thing. Be patient. Go get the app. <laughs> Be patient. <laughs> That's really all it is, because when you first get at it, you're you kind of you walk through the app and it makes sense. But if you're being impatient because you've run, you've done the manual version of the Soko Heli tool before, you're like, why the hell do I need to do this? I already know how to do it the original way. And you get partway through or you get hung up on a step where it doesn't make sense. You're like, screw it. I'm going to do it the old fashioned way. And then you never make it through. That's exactly what I did. You just have to suck it up. And walk through it. That's all. All right. All right. Put your big girl panties on. That's right. And make it happen. All right. I will. All righty. So I guess that wraps up the news then. Yep. All right. This week's news is brought to you by superiority.com. I did it right that time, didn't I? Yes, you did. Dude Man Larry. Dude Man Larry.com. Yeah. All righty. As you know, 2015 has been a big year for BK Designs. They've grown tremendously and are now distributing BK servos, switchblades, and Spartan flybarless systems. Bert and Susie provide top-notch customer support, and we're honored that they've chosen to help support us here at RC Alienation. As if that wasn't enough, they've decided to say thank you to all of our listeners for the support you guys have given them. If you head over to www.bkdesignsllc.com forward slash RCHN, you'll find a special page just for our listeners where you will receive 20% off of your next order. Thank you again to BK Designs for being so generous to the listeners of RC Hilly Nation. And again, that's www.bkdesignsllc.com forward slash RCHN. You'll get 20% off your next order. So what do we got going on this week, guys? We've got uh, a speed topic, right? And we've got a couple uh, listener questions. What should uh, what should we do first? Let's get the... I think that we should get the listener questions out of the way. Because right. we these were given to us um, a little bit ago. Uh, probably about a week and a half ago. Now, one of them, ha ha, uh, I love this. One of them, we didn't even feel comfortable answering on the fly because we had to go get a little, little get bit edumacated first before we, before we answered it. So good questions for sure. But um, yeah, let's go ahead and fire off the first one. Hey guys, I got a question for you. When the 700X came out, they made a really big deal about optimized servo geometry. They designed it such that the servo arm would be directly in line with the swash ball. 
so that the angular deflection of the swash plate would match the deflection of the servo arm, supposedly giving you the most one-to-one -one feel. I understand how this would work with cyclic around mid-stick. How does this work at full positive and full negative collective? And is it actually possible to create servo geometry that is optimized for one-to-one -one travel at full positive, full negative, and zero pitch? Thank you. Wow. Well done, Sage. Yeah, that this... one. That one's from Sage. Um, kind of a somewhat local guy to us that we know, Northwesterner, and that one caught me off guard. I mean, at first I was like, oh, yeah, I got this. And then he goes, okay. And is there an answer, a way to do it? And I'm like, ooh. Well, mm. when, when I heard it for the first time, I was like, I don't even know what the hell the 700X head geometry looks like. So Nick's like, let's do this one. I'm like, dude, I'm not going to answer this question until I go and look at what he's talking about. Yeah, you got to go back and, and look afar, at my From it looks like a normal-ass helicopter to me. Yeah, no, I, I did the pictures in the review, but it's, they did, they put a lot of thought into it. Um, for They put a lot of thought, thought into it for sure. So, uh, Justin, what part of this question do you want to, you want to tackle? Well, I, I can tackle part of it or all of it. It's whatever you want to do. Yeah, you dude. go for it and then I'll put my, I'll, I'll put my, cause I, I've got a couple examples of like, kind of real world applications where I have personally models that I've had that I've noticed that have had effort put into the geometry. And then I've also worked through some uh, tuning with some other people on models that have not had the greatest geometry. So I would like to comment on those. Perfect. So you well, go then ahead. You, you talk the real world stuff that actually has to do with flying. I'll talk the technical details. Okay. So there's a couple of models that really come to mind that the the manufacturers have advertised um, that they have put a uh, you know put extra effort into optimizing the geometry. One of which, uh, like Sage mentioned, is the 700x, uh, and the other one that I know very both of which I know very closely. The other one is the uh, Thunder Tiger E700. Nick talked about very getting very very linear response uh, out of that one. I can personally comment that from a flying and tuning aspect, those two models were some of the easiest models to tune that I've owned. Um, they are, you know, real world. What do you see? You see a real wide range of tuning capability. Uh, it's not picky to tune on the cyclic you're not dealing you don't feel like you're fighting with bobbles all the time it's just it's very it's kind of hard to explain but it's a very responsive cyclic yet very linear naturally so what that means is that i i feel like no matter where i'm you know as i'm working through the collective and i'm i'm doing pirouetting or stirring type maneuvers it doesn't feel like it's kind of on-off or on-off. Um, it's just got a very natural flow. And I, I mostly really only notice it, to be fair, in stirring stuff, the way that it paraflips. It's like we talked about, like I've talked about before when we've done our discussions on 
fly barless tuning. Um, with the cyclic, when you take that glass of water, that half full glass of water, and you hold it in the palm of your hand, and and you swish the water around in a circle, and you get it going. Once you get it going, um, you can kind of back off with the amount of effort that you're putting into it, and it just the water keeps flowing naturally if you get your rhythm right. And that's what I've noticed on those models that have been optimized for that is they naturally just have great flow, very linear. Um, yeah, they're just they're tuner friendly. They're high head speed. They they tune well in a broad head speed range, and they t- the cyclic responds equally whether you're into the positive or into the negative or mid stick. Um, kind of all the same. Uh, the one model that comes to just mine first right off the bat, which does not have the greatest geometry, um, the actually the Goblin three eighty. Does not. Uh, the way that they have the swash set up on that, uh, the balls are not on the same plane. And I think that it would be pretty fair to say it's not hard to find a thread or three or five on people struggling with cyclic tuning on it. As far as elevator bobbles, or they just can't quite get it to fly um, the way that they want it to easily. Now, I'm not going to be, I'm not saying that that can't be tuned out. I want to make that clear. But when we talk about the relationship of mechanical to how much can it compensate for, there's always that argument of, yeah, well, I still have X fly barless system. It flies a certain way. I can make anything fly that way. It's only true to a point. I've flown a T-Rex 700, I mean, like my T-Rex 700E, Justin, that you ended up having, the DFC. Yeah. On that model, did not, tuned in any way, shape, or form, fly as good on the cyclic as the 700X did. Period. End of story. And that's geometry related. Even if you took the same components, and I mean, I had same fly barless system, same everything on there. It's just not going to fly the same because the the fly barless system can only compensate to like to a point, and then you're gonna get what you're gonna get. Some people might say, "Well, I mean that," and that doesn't mean it's a bad thing because if it flies the way that you want it to, then that's great. Like that's perfectly fine. But I think that it can be a case of you don't know what you don't know until you have flown a model that is very much um, as optimized as possible, where the manufacturer really puts an effort um, into the cyclic throws and the geometry. There is an absolute um, difference. So that's what I have noticed, like on the non-technical side of it, just the actual plain Jane flying, going from model to model. So, Justin, why don't you uh, quiz us or educate us on the technical side of it? Yeah, so on the... the, And that's that's actually... I think that was a really awesome intro, Nick, because I don't think... I mean, from my perspective, I don't think most people have flown enough models to really be able to tell the difference between the, the the geometries. And let's be honest, most of the differences are subtle. The Goblin 380 is somewhat of a notable example. Uh, and yet, if you compare all the others out there, 
it's not like they're off by a significant amount, right? No. So most people don't bounce around between models enough to notice, and the ones that do probably don't fly well enough or tune well enough to notice. Yes. Okay, so keep that in mind. That should temper your thoughts on this because this is a topic that, person, in my personal engineering opinion, is a battle between perfection and good enough. And 99.9% of the time, I think good enough is good enough. Picking the fly shit out of the pepper. That's right. That's right. But now, it doesn't mean that I I don't believe that some of the top pilots can't tell the difference. But, you know, it's all a personal thing. So, you know, first of all, you got to understand what we're dealing with here. And this is a situation that everyone deals with in RC models. Uh, You are using a servo. A servo uses an output shaft that rotates okay and then you attach a servo horn to it with a ball and a linkage and the whole purpose behind that is to translate that rotational motion into linear motion or near linear motion so that you can actuate your control surfaces and whether we're talking about you know uh, a hinged surface like an aileron or an elevator on a fixed wing on a plank or we're talking about the stuff that we deal with on the helis, the fundamental concept is the same. Uh, When you look at a servo, uh, let's just say the servo is uh, standing up so it's tall, tall tall-wise, right? And Like the mounting configuration on the 700X, by the way. And you have your servo horn out at 90 degrees. That's your neutral point, okay? Now, as the servo arm rotates, for the first 30 to 45 degrees, things are fairly linear. And what I mean by that is the movement of the ball on the end of the servo horn uh, or the vertical movement of the linkage up and down is fairly linear with angle as as the servo deflects from that zero degrees up or down. Once you get much past 45 degrees and you start seeing a lot of nonlinearities pop in, okay? And that's at the, the further extent of the throws. Why? Okay, let's, let's talk a little technical here, a little more technical. It's because that particular point in space traces out uh, the shape of a sine wave, Okay, and if you go and look up sine wave or you plot it, if you're able to do that, you'll see that uh, as you get towards the peak in deflection at the 90 degree point, it becomes extremely nonlinear. That's what we're fighting with. There are a couple of different ways you can deal with that. Um, One way is you can set up your geometry such that at neutral position, your pitch link is actually at an angle with respect to your ball on the on the swash plate. Um, and so you're, you're as I talk through this and you're listening, you, you might want to pick out a piece of paper because it's easier to visualize that way. But if you look at it from the side, if the pitch link is not straight up and down, OK, uh, at neutral position, then as you rotate out from zero degrees up, let's say we're going positive collective, then that pitch link starts uh, becoming more and more straight until at some point it is perfectly vertical. 
Okay, so that right there is a mechanical situation where you are maximizing the load at max throw for the servo. Okay, that means when you're at high pitch, you are actually getting a lot more load out of your servo uh, or load capability than you would otherwise. When you do the straight pitch link, like Sage is talking about on the uh, on the 700X, you have the opposite situation, and that is if you're looking at it at neutral position and your swash link is perfectly vertical at neutral, as you rotate, that perfect vertical orientation is going to change, and now your pitch link is going to be at an angle. And as you get further out that way, you actually see more nonlinearity in the movement and a reduction in the total force that the servo can handle because now you're deflecting that through an angle. How do you get around this? The only way is, Sage, to use a linear, linear servo drive, which is a rack and pinion system. Um, I'm not aware of any helis out there currently that have it other than the uh, soon-to-be-released Henselet TDR2 and the TDS. That's right. That's the only ones. I looked and looked and looked, and I think the TDR2 and the TDS are it. And, and so Jan has basically designed his system in such a way that you put a little gear on the output shaft of your servo, and then that gear directly drives a rack gear that that has a ball attached to the top of it, and the thing moves up and down linearly. MCPX has linear servos. <laughs> good point, Dan. Good point. Good, very good point. <laughs> wow, nailed it. It is true. So I got a question though, because I'm thinking back to the flybar days. We used to use Expo to get more linearity out of our servos. Mm-hmm. Is that not an option anymore? Well, you're, I mean, the fly, the fly barless system is kind of doing what we did back then. I mean, I think it, I think it used to be that, what did people say? 20% expo on a fly heli was supposed to be about linear. About linear. Yeah. Or right. something. The fly barless system is really doing that today when you say, I want 20% expo. It's actually kind of above and beyond that. Um, so, yeah, it, it's doing way more compensating than we can really even wrap our brains around. Uh, well, and I'm not sure, Nick, if all of the fly barless systems actually have a linearizer in them. I mean, I and I'm saying that honestly because fair. I'm just not familiar enough. I know on Bavarian Demon, uh, it is an option. So you can actually adjust the linearity that is imposed on the motion of the servos. Yeah. Um, yeah I know it's built in. Others may built well. it in, have it built in, like maybe V-Bar has it built yeah, it in. Does. I don't know. But yeah, you're right, Dan. Um, because, as I mentioned, being that this is a rotational device, the, the movement of that ball is inherently nonlinear. And so when you add Expo, the type of Expo that we know and love not the negative but well depending on your radio manufacturer <laughs> damn it <laughs> the expo that slows things down around center <laughs> actually linearizes things because in the first 45 degrees of rotation 
you actually have a very fast movement of that uh, mm-hmm. uh, of the vertical position of the ball. And then as you round that corner, it starts to slow down. Doesn't make it perfect, though. Nope. Because in a perfect world, it would actually go to a certain point and then start speeding back up at the end. As you yeah. got far, farther and farther in your throw. Kind of a mess. But real world, um, can you feel a difference? Yes, if you fly enough models, you're familiar enough with a fly bar, like a specific fly barless system. Like that's your only one that you fly. And you are going to compare it across the same size models with the same components. Um, yes, I do believe that, uh, you know, mildly competent 3D pilot uh, can tell a difference. Is it a necessity? No, I don't think that it's a necessity. The majority of the models are th- uh, out there do fall into Justin's category of good enough. That was almost a topic in itself. Yeah, oh, dude, we could talk a lot more <laughs> about this one. Yeah, I mean, I yeah. brushed over the technical details. It probably doesn't even make as much sense with mo- without more of a description, but... Moving right along, then. Yes. We have another one. We do. All right, here we go. Hey, guys. Crash Expert here. My question is about batteries and wire length. Why is it bad to have long wire runs for batteries and DSCs, and how does that play into resistance and ripple voltage? Also, if a model needs to have long wire runs, what can be done to reduce the problems of having long wires? Thanks, and keep up the great work. All right. Ripple. That's a whine, isn't it? Ripple. Ripple? Is it? Yeah. Is it? I don't know. I don't know, but I can tell you, it's a bad damn thing in electronics. (laughs) We do not like our ripple voltage. No, we don't. No, nor do the speed controllers. So, Justin, go ahead, tear it off, and then I will. I have my two bits that I'll put in at the end. Yeah, well, okay, so, um, simply put, uh, you want to minimize any of what we refer to as parasitics in an electrical circuit. And parasitics are, a par- it could be parasitic resistance, it could be capacitance, it could be inductance. The, the key word is parasitic. And what that means is it is an unwanted addition to the circuit. Um, and it generally acts to decrease the performance of the circuit or um, decrease the stability. And so what, what we've got here is a situation where um, as you add longer wires to the input side of your ESC, you're adding resistance, okay? And as you now run the ESC and the motor through all the different load transitions that you typically see in a 3D heli, and there are a lot of them, this is by no means a constant current device. It's bouncing all over the place from 30 to 50 amps in a hover up to, you know, 150 or 200, depending on who you are and how well you manage your collective. And so as you see these these peaks and valleys in current, the resistance in your wires causes your input voltage to vary. Okay. The more resistance you've got out in front and you can draw the circuit, the the bigger the R, 
the bigger the change in the voltage that the input of the ESC sees. And the reason why this is problematic in a very simple way is because now the ESC itself, the converter, which is switching this power to uh, the motor, is not seeing a constant flow. It's not seeing a constant input. It, it's having to deal with things bouncing around a lot, okay? And so that's why we have uh, the desire to minimize ripple to the maximum extent possible. And the way you do it is you drop out, uh, you drop your wire lengths. Most ESC manufacturers will give you a guideline and, you know, I want to say like the Castle Manual and Cosmic say uh, that you need to keep your wire length below I want to say six inches or eight inches between the battery and the input side of the ESC. Different models have different lengths, but generally speaking, four to six inches is probably reasonable. Um, now, how, how do we fix it if we have to run longer wire lengths? Well, the answer is actually in the front of your ESC. Most ESCs have capacitors that are visible on the front hand or on the front side. And those capacitors actually act as a large input filter. The purpose of which is to try to filter out any of the ripple that comes out of the battery uh, as a result of these load differences. And so it's not surprising that when you look at castle manuals and it says, if you're going to go over six or eight inches of wire, then please add a castle capacitor pack. And all that basically does is it boosts the input filtering capability of the ESC such that it can handle the greater ripple that's going to come as a result of the additional parasitic resistance that you now have because of the longer wire runs. The same goes, by the way, for crappy solder joints, guys. Yep. It's no, it's just as bad. Yeah. I mean, it's just as it bad. has nothing it's, to do with wire or solder or anything. It has to do with unwanted resistance. That is correct. So if that we did a lot, a lot of our new listeners might not be aware of this um, in digging in episode three, uh, we talk about electric motors, ESCs and electric governors. We went through probably one of the funnest digging ins that we've done. And this was uh, we did a kind of a real world visual application of this. And ripple voltage was something that we went over in there. Um, so if you're if you have a hard time kind of, you know, like what? OK, now wait, what? You said wires and oh, geez, go listen to that digging in. Um, it will completely change the way, I promise you, it'll completely change the way that you look at batteries, speed controllers, um, and all of the wires and what it takes to, to get the power from your battery to your motor. Um, I believe that we did a great job of explaining that. So if you need a little bit more, that's the place to get it. A little shameless plug for us. There. Just keep the wire length short and keep learn short. how to solder. And you will be perfectly fine. Yep. Yep, yep. In a perfect world, it would be, you just run everything off of a power source, like a constant power source. But batteries just don't quite work like that. Well, that is fantastic. All right. Fan-freaking-tastic. Yeah. 
we love it when we get the interaction from listeners. So if you have a question uh, that you would like to have the guys take a stab at, send your little your video or your little audio clip. Everyone's got one on their phone, right? Mm-hmm. Everybody's got an ability to record their voice. Questions at rchillynation.com. Might get uh, your question on there, and the guys will take, take a try to stump the chumps. That's what I like to call it. Yeah. <laughs> got the chump part right. Arden, get ready to go to the field. Okay, I'll make you a deal. Uh, you can keep playing until I get done charging my batteries. Hey, that's not fair. That's only gonna take like five minutes, cause you got a power lab. <laughs> well played, Dad. Well played. Well... That leaves the topic de jour. Ah, yes. That's Latin for the topic we're going to talk about. You're Stan, you you are worldly. <laughs> Don't ever let anyone t- tell you <laughs> Tell otherwise. you otherwise. Oh, yeah. <laughs> worldly with your Latin and your modello. <laughs> I was on my way to Thanksgiving dinner. Stopped to get a six-pack of beer, right? And there were a guy standing there, and I heard a guy, he was like right there, and he goes, hey, have you ever tried that Modelo? He was talking to his buddy. He goes, ah, that's pretty good stuff. I had to chime in. Chimed in, I said, yep, can't go wrong with Modelo. Uh, you just felt like you, 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 had to, you had to give a him- kindred spirit yeah, there. Yeah, expert <laughs> testimony. That's right. So the topic this week is things that fly fast- Yes. Really, really fast. Getting there. Yes. Things that fly almost fast. Beginning <laughs> yeah. down the path of attempting to go fast. Yes. So you're sitting there and you're wondering, hmm, this looks interesting to me. I think I'm gonna I think I wanna give it this a crack, this whole speed heli thing, but I don't wanna dive in like Justin did, right? And like mortgage his house and Oh my god. Decide <laughs> to tell the kid that he can't go to college now and all that good stuff, right? Yeah. Not all of us can afford to have spare cosmics laying around. <laughs> but you're thinking, you're looking at your heli and you're going, Huh, I wonder I wonder if I could, you know, get a little taste of this speed thing, right? And not go crazy. So that's what Justin's going to kind of go over today. He's going to give us a heads up on how we might accomplish that task. Yes. That's your cue. That's your cue. I mean, this is how this no, works. No, I, I, I'm ready, dude. I'm absolutely oh, ready. Well, so <laughs> I want to find out. Okay, first. First things first. Okay, go, Nick. We have, uh, well, maybe not everyone, but some of us have what we would call a fleet, right? Yep. And I want to know, out of my fleet, or anyone's fleet, what size is the best to start with? I mean, is there a specific size, or is it more like model? Or can I do this on anything? Okay. Yeah, that is probably one of the most um, asked questions I think I get. And the answer is 
the best size or best model is the one that you're willing to speed fly. Uh, okay. You know, it, it, it at at first order, that's really what it comes down to. Now, you know, we can we can talk about how a larger heli, as you know, in every other aspect of flying, flies more stably, right? Mm-hmm. And so, it, given the opportunity to learn speed flying on a six or seven hundred versus a two fifty, I think I'd choose the larger model. But that doesn't mean you cannot do it on a smaller helicopter we had guys out at the urcha speed cup that were uh, actually from team links and oxy that were running the little oxy threes mm-hmm. so what i would say is you want a model that is uh that is proven enough from a standpoint of flight performance and envelope and uh and has a fly barless system that is actually decent so what does that mean in terms of excluding things? Don't mess with like the little blade micros. They've got their own flavor to them. If you can put a B-Stex or a V-Bar or any of the other mainstream fly barless systems on it, then it's good enough to start learning on. Yeah. Now, I do think it it might be kind of hard. Um. So, you know, with my limited experience, and again, I decided on a whim that I was going to do this to my Goblin 500. I don't mind telling you, once it we got the speed up on it, it got real small real fast. So that is kind of my warning. Now, I had no desire to go right into it into the 700 class. I don't own 600 models. They're not my flavor. But... I really liked the idea of doing the 500, uh, setting it up, because I felt that it was affordable. I don't know if I would go much smaller than that personally from what I saw, because I did want to go real fast. And, man, it got small. Ooh, geez. Like, it was like, oh, man. Oh, man. Okay. Fly it through it. Fly it through it. Can't really see it. Doesn't matter. Fly it through it. I know what it should be doing. And, and I mean, it ended up fine, but I could see how that would definitely be a challenge like with the smaller model. Yeah. And that's that's actually a really good point, Nick. Um, it all comes down to in terms of that that aspect of the size, uh, you can certainly rein them in. Right. You're not going to go and fly a 380 or a 360 class model over a 200 meter course like the big guys do. It doesn't make sense. Um, the way we've been to, last year, this year, I guess 2015 has been the first time that we've ever messed with uh, we as a speed community, I guess, is what I mean by that with smaller models like less than a five or six hundred. And so. We've jumped to like 100 to 120 meter course. And that's still, I mean, think about it. 100 meters. We did 100 meters at RCHN3. That's a football field. Mm-hmm. That's a lot of distance to cover uh, and still be able to see what you're doing on a small 360 or even, you know, the 250 class model. So vision is a big part of it. Absolutely the case. Um, the benefit of the little guys is that if something does go wrong, it's certainly not going to cost you as much uh, because once you do get into the speed flying thing, you you realize that you kind of have to relearn 
not just the flying, but the tuning aspect of it. And so uh, there's definitely an opportunity for things to go wrong. I think we saw at least two or three individuals at RCHN3 that were tuning and flying speed for the first time and had some very close calls. Yeah, very close calls. So, um, uh, you know, really, if you if you want to choose an ideal size, I think it's the 500 class, five to six hundred reasonably sized from a standpoint of visibility. OK, mm-hmm. um, reasonably priced and you can get a lot of performance out of very simple, uh, basic power systems. And, you know, the other key behind it is that the five to six hundred class has a huge range of available blades. Yeah. And as we get deeper into the topic, what people will start to realize is that blades make or break a speed model. Uh, We talked about it last week on the Gowie R5 review. The stock blades are great up until a, a certain point. And then beyond that, they it just won't fly all that stably or efficiently. And so you've got to move to a different type of blade. Cool. So let's go down. Let's say we we've chosen our model. We like the, you know, we'll just say we're, we're going to start with a 500 or 600 or whatever. So let's go, let's do some, um, we're going to do a budget build, right? And maybe we're not even going to build. We're just going to go over some of the components to five out, to find out if what we have in it right now is good enough. I mean, we we might not need to do anything to it. So um, most likely the case. Yeah, which is most likely the case. So let's start with servos. Is there anything specific that my quote unquote three D servos can't do for speed? No, nowadays servos are probably one of the easiest components to deal with in speed because you can't go wrong. I mean, you know, we'll argue to the end on what brand is better than another based on people's loyalties. But at the end of the day, all of the brands out there offer great performance, standard size servos. Um, I don't know that you can even get a cyclic servo with less than 150 to 200 inch ounces of torque, which is more than enough. Uh, and the speeds on them now are holy crap. They're super fast. Uh, you know, the, the slowest is probably a tenth of a second. Most of them are in the 70 to 90 millisecond range. Uh, so uh, generally speaking, you want to look for at least 150 inch ounces of torque. Speed is not the, the key feature behind this. OK, because when you think about how the servo is working under uh, speed flying, you want to get to uh, as much positive collective as possible uh, when you set yourself up for the run. And basically what that means for the servos is that they need to hold that load uh, against 14, 15, 16 degrees of collective pitch plus the you know several degrees of cyclic that is necessary to keep everything level and, and flying straight. And that is a lot of force. Uh, the, so you want to make sure that your stall torque is high enough to the point where you're able to handle that uh, without any issues. If you do not have enough torque, 
Uh, in the worst case, you can stall out, but uh, in your servo travel through the throws, you'll see that you're not getting the speed that you expect anyway. So in this yeah. particular case, having enough torque means that you can get your uh, your blades to the right pitch in a reasonable amount of time. Cool. So while we're we're right there with blades, let's uh, let's let's touch on that. Um, you know, let's exclude all of the, the speed blades, the X blades, you know, all of your fancy ones that you order from Europe and all that kind of stuff on the market available, any hobby shop, what do you think is the best bang for your buck entry level speed blade? Radix or rails, plain and simple. Yeah. Radix because... Uh, they are heavy and stable. The mm-hmm. fly barless radixes are usually amongst the heaviest blades in their class, uh, and they're CG'd appropriately for speed. And then rails are really nice too, because as as you guys know, for 3D, Matt has sort of made his made his blade uh, design tailored to. A, I'll call it a well-rounded 3D blade. Does that make sense? Yeah. So it's not super aggressive. Um, it is. It has a nice swept tip, so uh, it has a very, I'd say, soft tendency to it uh, mm-hmm. at at uh, high portions of the servo throw. Not and, bitey. Yeah, they're not bitey. That's absolutely correct. They're very efficient. They don't fart a lot. That's really great. Um. <laughs> And so no, it's no, it's not. <laughs> I know, yourself. Dan. You love the old school edges, dude. My wife would agree. Not farting a lot is good. <laughs> <laughs> um, so those are the two that I I would recommend the most, and you can pretty much find them anywhere nowadays. If we want to take a step back and talk just generally, um, what do we mean when we say blades that are good for speed and it comes down to both the weight of the blade and the cg uh generally you want to shoot for a weight that's uh 15 to 20 percent heavier than a typical what we call quote unquote stick banger you know hardcore aggressive 3d blades uh in a in a 700 class we look for 225 to 250 grams per blade in the 550 to 600 class, it's more like uh, 135 to 155 grams per blade, just to give you sort of a feel for things. Uh, on the CG side of it, you want a spanwise CG, meaning the location of the center of gravity of the blade uh, between the root and the tip, as far out towards the tip as possible because what that does is it allows for uh, that CG and the mass rotating at this high head speed to act to stabilize the disc. In other words, the disc is far less likely to be affected by small perturbations and airflow or your twitchy fingers, that sort of a thing. And then of course, uh, cord wise CG, you want it to be, you want it to be neutral. You certainly don't want it to be like an aggressive 3D blade, um, which causes the blade itself actually to move away from its neutral point when you add pitch. 
Gotcha. Cool. Okay, so we've we've got it. We picked out our blades. Um, let's talk. Well, hey, I mean, let's let's go right into um, motor. And yeah, I think that's the, a big one. The it is, and you can't talk motor without talking ESC. So I, I'm yep. I'm going to kind of combine these. Uh, power system is probably yep. the better title for it. The key behind the power system is having enough margin on the current and not just continuous current, but also peak current. So following along with the size that we've chosen, let's say we've chosen a 550, 550 class. Okay, Uh, it's a T-Rex 550 or a Goblin 570. Maybe it's a Gowie X5, maybe even picked up an R5 Um, either way. We want to run as high of a voltage as is reasonable for the size of heli that we're going to use. And the reason is, as we know, uh, for the same power, if you increase your voltage, then your current goes down. And current is the killer in speed. Yes. (laughs) Uh, So the ESCs that uh, are out there in that class are, you know, like a... An ice, not an ice, I guess it's an edge nowadays, edge 120, edge 160 from Castle. You got the Hobby Wing 100 HV. Uh, YGE has a 120, I think, even an 80 HV. You got the Jives. If you're crazy like me and you've got a Cosmic lying around and it will fit under your canopy, you could certainly give that a try. But uh, we're definitely looking for an ESC in the range of 100 plus amps with a peak that uh, that can handle up to 150 or more. And why is that the case? The reason is because under the full speed run, when you're at max pitch and you're trying to hold that head speed, you're going to see sustained currents, meaning for four, five, six seconds or longer. Um, up near the limits of your ESC. So we talked about on the Gowie R5 review last week, I was seeing continuous currents in the range of 80 to 110 amps, depending on what my setup is. There's not much 3D out there that sees that kind of continuous current draw unless you're pulling hardcore full pitch uh, hurricanes, right? Mm -hmm. So, and then the peaks are the other side of it. Uh, beginners in particular have a challenge with, and I still get challenged by it ever so often with feathering out collective while feathering in cyclic on the exit to a run to pull up or likewise on the opposite side, feathering in collective and out cyclic on the entry to the run. Bottom line is when you're combining 14 to 16 degrees of collective with eight or 10 degrees of cyclic, that is a lot of freaking pitch and it shows up as huge current spikes uh, on the 550 class in excess of 140 to 150 amps on my big 700s. Depending on the weight, I've seen peaks up to 300 amps. So um, I, all the I more reason, in my opinion, why I really like starting with the 500 to 550 class you know, Justin talked about this and we touched on it in the R5 review, but even components with 
great margin, you know, uh, uh, an edge 120 or, uh, you know, whatever, your 45, 25 motor. These are all components that are still fairly reasonably priced, can be found anywhere and everywhere. And you're, you're just, you haven't gone crazy yet, but you can give yourself that margin right off the bat. To give yourself a margin on a 700 class model, you are going to fork out big dollars. Yeah, you're at the top of the food chain in terms of power system components on 700s. That's the problem. And I agree. Yeah. That is why the five to 600 class makes so much sense to dabble in speed with. Yep. Because they're all very reasonable priced, you know, six to 700 class electric components. Yeah, you can take your your old 700 that was laying around you weren't doing anything with and your marginal, quote unquote, ghetto components and slap them in a 600 or a 550 speed model. And man, you got yourself a rocket ship. Yep, absolutely the case. I agree. Okay, and so on the other side of the power system, we've got the motor. Now, the motor's got some interesting features to it. You've chosen your ESC. Let's say, Nick, you're going to fly a, you're going to put this in your Goblin 500. Yeah, let's so, let's let's do my, my fantasy build. Okay. Here. So okay. we're doing a Goblin 500 here, right? 500 Sport. Okay. Um, I am willing, I, what I'm going to do with that is I'm going to run it on 12S. Okay. Yep. So uh, 12S, and I'm going to use the Hobbywing 100 HV. Okay. And the 100 HV can handle peaks up to about 140, yep. 150 amps. So you should be good for some sloppy thumbs. Yep. Which we know we're going to have. I've proven. So um, <laughs> now, now let's go into the motor side of it. Help me, help me pick a motor for that. Because okay. in my. My regular 500, right, um, that has a 4020, 1100. Right. Yes, right. 4020, 1100. Okay, so motor depends on a number of different things. The simplest thing is what can you fit? And I know that sounds silly, but when you look at speed-specific models, they are designed to fit a massive tuna can motor. Okay, but if it's a typical 3D heli, then there tends to be limited room with regard to whether it bumps into the servos or the bearing block or pops out of the top of the canopy. I'll tell you what, you can fit as big of a motor in your Goblin 500 as you want, but if it is presenting its entire can to the oncoming <laughs> airstream, that's not going to do anything for you in terms you of going fast. Fly around and present your can everywhere. People. That's right. It can is presentation upon will Damn it. reduce yeah. aerodynamic quality. <laughs> Sorry, Dan. Dan, you can't you just that, drive right, around. Dude? Yeah, you can't. Is that why the cops were called the other yep. night? You yes. cannot cruise down the road on your scooter with your can hanging. Showing out. your can. Damn. Okay, so once you figured out what the well, I guess I just need to get a smaller can. Yeah, there you go. There you hey. go. That's why I never it, get in trouble. It's not the size that matters, <laughs> Dan. It's how you use the can. It's how you use That's it. That's right. You keep telling That's yourself right. that, Justin. Yeah. Okay. So we've we've chosen our can or our motor uh, based on the fact that it actually fits, or at least we know what the upper limit is, Nick. 
uh, on the Goblin 500 Sport again as an example. And then the next question is what kind of gearing is available for that model? Okay. Um, let's talk rules of thumb. Now, these are Justin's rules of thumb. They're no one else's. It is uh, based on my own personal observations with all of my speed flying, as well as having spoken with and flown with other speed pilots. Uh, so it is it is definitely a disclaimer of use at your own risk. But I think generally they make sense if you think it through. Um, you you uh, want to choose a motor that has a KV appropriate to the gearing uh, for that particular model such that you can run your head speed a few hundred or more RPM above what you would typically fly for 3D. Okay, so what do we what do we fly 3D on a Goblin 500 nowadays, Nick? Not oh. not super hardcore 3D. We're not talking Kyle Stacy. Sorry, bud. We're not talking about hovering. We're talking about your box standard 3D pilot nowadays. Oh, geez, man. I don't know when the last time I taxed mine was. Probably, what, 28? Yeah, so I mean, let's that, say 26 ripping. to 28. I mean, that's we're, we're only spinning 500s, right? Yeah. Maybe 525s. That's, that's pretty fast already. Yeah, okay. yeah. Okay, so plus up your standard 3D, your idle up head speed by a few hundred RPM. Let's shoot for 2,900 to 3,000, okay? Yeah. On a on a 550 to 600 class, that would probably put you more in the range of 27 to 2,900 for speed. Up on the 700 size, um, uh, you would start to hit speed head speed range uh, at the sort of 2,300 mark. And then, of course, we get crazy and go all the way up to like 27 or 2,800 on the speed specific models. Okay, so rule of thumb couple hundred RPM will get you somewhere safe. Uh, so once you figured out what your gearing is based on that motor KV for that range of head speeds, then your next question is, what kind of power do I want my motor to be able to put out? Here's another rule of thumb. I'm not talking about peak power. I'm talking about continuous power. First of all, Make sure that the continuous current that your motor is capable of pr producing is supported by your ESC. <laughs> what? What? I know. Yeah. Seriously? Simple, right? Once you get past that nugget, the power rule of thumb is to take the blade length in millimeters, okay, and multiply that by somewhere in the range of, say, 8 to 10, okay? And that's the number of watts that you want to shoot for in terms of uh, continuous and peak power, okay? Uh, 8 for continuous on the low end, so let's take 500 millimeter blades times 8, that's a 4,000 watt motor, right? Uh, 500 millimeter blades times 10 for the peak gives you a 5,000 watt peak, where does that put us in terms of motors? Go and look at your go and look at your numbers, and what you're going to find is a uh, forty thirty forty thirty five. Now you could get up into the forty five thirties if you really wanted to, but let's remember it's probably not going to fit in that model, and they're heavy as hell. Yes. 
Okay. So I think for the Goblin 500 Sport, Nick, you should choose a 4025. So I've got I've got one more because I did a little bit of research on this, kind of okay. looking at all the uh, the the different sizes, and I, I want to run this by you. And we haven't talked about this, but here is even a more dumbed down version. Can you ballpark say that you're gonna go, want to go up one class in motor? As far as one yeah, heli size class, so, I think that is a, also a reasonable rule of thumb. Yeah, like a forty twenty five really is more of a five fifty class motor, right? That's what I have in my in my uh, five seventy is a forty twenty five. Yeah, and my, and my five hundred has a forty twenty, so I'm going to go up one class now. If sure. I wanted to speed fly my five seventy. I would take the 4025 out of there and I would probably go to, okay, um, I'd probably, truthfully, I'd probably skip right by the 600 class because it's so close and I would go to like the next uh, class up, which would be say a 4525 if I was going to do that. Sure. If, again, if it would fit, but if you're kind of just curious, maybe buying used motors or whatever, um, you know, or motor numbers intimidate you. Look at what the people are flying in the next class size bigger. Get the dimensions off of that. See if it will fit and then figure out and make sure you get your uh, your KV on the motor correct and you have an available pinion size depending on that model. Yeah, I, I think that, that may, between that and the power multiplier rule of thumb, you're going to find yourself a good motor. I agree okay. completely. And, you know, th so this is the real kicker here is it and it's counterintuitive to a lot of people. There's a lot of counterintuitive shit in speed. OK, but motor power, you need to err on the high side. Let that sink in for a second. We want to err on the high side of motor power. The reason for that is. You are putting this motor under high load, okay? You're going to push it to its absolute limits uh, to try to get every mile per hour out of that model that you can once you get the skill up. Um, there is a situation that you've probably heard of before wherein uh, under super high load and with a motor that is unable to keep up with the load that is being demanded, of the uh, uh, by the rotor head, you can get what's called a commutation error in your speed controller. Hmm. And this fire, is a situation fire. where basically <laughs> uh, the the rotor saying, I need this much power. Uh, the ESC saying, I've got it to give the motor saying, I think I can. I think I can. I think I can. And as you keep going up the hill, the motor gets slower and slower and slower and what that translates into is the angle between the current phase in the motor uh, stator windings and the magnets gets bigger and bigger and bigger. And when the ESC sees this, it says, oh, shit, I'm falling behind. I need to give you more juice because I got to catch up more juice. And what ends up happening is you can get big, nasty current spikes that will burn up your motor, that will blow up your ESCs, torch your batteries. 
I have actually had commutation errors when I was running the uh, the Contronic Pyro 750 uh, in the um, what was it? I think that was in the Goblin Speed when I really started to push it, and I had to upgrade the motor to the next size up. And yep, that's that really does make a difference. Yep. So don't be don't be Air shy on the of side going of big Dan. Big. Who's ever told you that before? I mean, now, <laughs> speed's got pretty cool rules, don't you think? Get the biggest motor you can. Yes. Yeah. 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 That's what Dan's like. Yep. That's what I need. The biggest damn motor possible. Um. So. What kind of nitro does it take? <laughs> I was waiting. Dan, I'm really 0%. impressed that you made it the majority of the way through this. And uh, I just heard the long pause and I woke up. I was. Uh, oh, uh, oh, there it was. I was going to say, I was just waiting for him to come in with a sarcastic jab. <laughs> well, we've got a couple more, a couple more quick ones. Um, and, the, and then we'll wrap this up. Uh, let's talk batteries, Justin, because. Uh. Yes, batteries, it, it, zippies, zippies from yeah. Yes, Hobby use Mike. use uh-huh. Hoppy King zippies. I think what and is be important sure to have here, your friend videotape your maiden speed flight. <laughs> what is important is that battery maintenance and care is very important. Yes, very very important. I don't think we want to really get into brands. Let's not do that. Well, and I don't think it's a. You know what? At any given time, there are brands out there that have good packs and there are brands out there that have bad and that cycles a whole hell of a lot more frequently than you would expect. So if you want to talk brands, hit me up offline or subscribe to the RCHN database. You can see the data that the listeners have been posting. Bottom line is that the pack tends to be the bottleneck in all speed flying, certainly up at the 700 class models uh you want to get as good of a pack as you can get and what i mean by that is good irs for its size target at least a pack that's got 30 c um don't get bogged down in the 45 to 65 70 80 whatever nameplate bs that is i won't go into the that whole rant you guys know how the battery industry works 99.9% of them fall within 25 to 35 C, regardless of what numbers are printed on the label. And that has to be good enough because that's all you're going to get. Yep. When you do 12 S or let's just say this, when you do higher voltages than are typically run in the smaller classes of helis, like, for example, Nick, the Goblin 500 Sport, you run into challenges with how the hell am I going to fit a 12S flight pack inside that tiny ass airframe? So you, you got to be mindful of that. And that is one advantage that the 700 class has over the little guys is that they're designed for high voltage systems to begin with. And so generally it's going to be easier to find packs that fit. Or even the 550 class over the 500 even. Big difference. Yeah, yeah, that's that's good point. Good point. Yeah. Okay, so we've got our uh we've got our opinions picked out. We we decided that we are we're comfortable with we bumped our head speed up. Let's say 100 RPM. Um let's say 2 to 300. Well, no, because we're practicing. 
We're just get we're easing into it. We're gonna be moderate. Um, okay, two hundred. We'll, we'll meet in yeah. the middle. Two hundred. Um, two fifty. Bait two. F- <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, go ahead. <laughs> Do I hear two seventy five? Two seventy five. How we need to make some basic tuning changes. Basic tuning. Yep. We're gonna drop our head gain. How much ballpark? Um, depends on the fly barless system, but I'd start with. Tannish uh, points. Okay. Uh, same with tail, right? Somewhere okay. between five and fifteen. Um, it it really all depends on your on your system. Leave your pitch the same to begin with. No, no, no. The pitch is a big one. So hold on a second. Let me hit fly barless for one one little bit more. Okay. Um. So yes, you do want to drop your gains five, ten, fifteen points. Uh, more importantly, what are you looking for in the speed flying? Okay, you're looking for an incredibly violent and high frequency tail wag at high speed. And when that happens, you slow down, you drop your pitch, you slow the heli as quickly as possible because at the speeds that you're running and the energy that is bound up in that tail wag, you can do serious damage. I have actually melted the plastic spacers that hold my tail blades into the grips on the Henselet TDR in one of those tail wags. Okay. It's not like a 3D tail wag. You need to stop it immediately. Okay, so um, a good rule of thumb. Again, rule of thumb. And people look at me when I say this and are like, are you serious? If you were to pitch pump my Diablo speed right now, I almost guarantee you that the tail would swing out 90 degrees. Okay, that's how loose you want the thing to be for speed flying. Um, If you have the ability to tell in your fly barless system the transition between heading hold and rate mode, then sit yourself right on the boundary just a little bit into heading hold and see how it goes from there. On the head, what you're looking for is in high speed flight. The disc will look like it's doing a little dance. Nick, you've seen that one before, too. Mm-hmm. Um, so watch for shakes and wobbles on the blade disc. Okay. Okay. Pitch. Uh, again, counterintuitive. Head speed is your friend. Pitch is your enemy. When you are learning how to speed fly, you want to start with, you want to err on the high side of head speed and the low side of pitch. Why? Because we want to avoid the pitch up, the dreaded pitch up, which is more technically referred to as retreating blade stall. Okay. And so what happens here is uh, you've got your advancing blade over the left side of the heli that is going into the airflow. So the speed at the tip is equal to the speed that it's rotating around the head plus the speed that the heli is moving through the air, okay? On the opposite side, the retreating blade over the right-hand side of the heli has a different effect. It is moving at the speed of uh, the tip around the head, but now the forward speed of the helicopter is subtracting from the speed of the airflow over that blade, okay? 
And so if you get your forward speed to a super high um, uh, level relative to your tip speed, then you can get into a range where the combination of those two gives you an effective speed at the tip of your retreating blade that is in the stall range for the pitches that you're running. And when you have a retreating blade stall, what that basically means is you lose all lift on that blade on the right hand side of the heli it rotates 90 degrees in line with the boom and that's where the uh, gyroscopic procession puts the force of action and all of a sudden you get a big up elevator and the thing and you pee hits a wall and then you pee or you poo or whatever it is you got to do in your shorts you want as much head speed as you're comfortable with and is safe for the model and start yourself at out at 12 or 13 degrees of collective and just go with that. Works for me. It is scary. <laughs> it's awesome is what Dan, it is. And you got to see quite a bit of them. I did. Yes, I did. And they are fun. I mean, they're scary, but they're fun all at the same time. They got great pucker factor. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And there's that like few milliseconds as you realize it's happening, Dan, both as the pilot and the spectator, where you you realize in that moment, there's a a small chance it won't come out of that retreating blade stall. It could explode. Nice. I'm waiting for that. I am waiting for that. Okay, so what do we do? We've got we've got our setup. We're ready to go. We've made the changes in our fly wireless system. We say, all right, I'm going to go be speedy now. Give me a learning pattern or a flight technique that I need to practice and work on just for learning. We'll get into the more advanced stuff in the. I can't can't believe you guys are passing up the funnest part of this whole process. It's when you get the Dremel out and you get to use your imagination. Oh, yeah, that's right. That's the funnest part of the whole thing. Dan wins. I forgot that part. Okay, let's hear it. Well, I I have never done it, but I was very impressed at our fun fly when Quinn just got all like speed techie with his, I think it was his Compass 680. It was, Mm -hmm. dude. I mean, he like turned like he took off the front landing gear and did all kinds of craziness to it. That's awesome. Yeah, so what can we do to our bone stock 3D models to help us? Perfect. And and this is I'm glad you brought this up Dan because this will allow me to retreat a bit from Dan or from Nick's next topic to talk about CG and its importance. And it comes into play when we're talking about modifying the heli. So uh, in speed, drag is our enemy. Okay, we want to have the most aerodynamically efficient body possible. That's why the fuselage helis are really the pinnacle of speed flying. And so for a 3D heli, there's not a lot that you can do without getting too crazy. The biggest upgrade or modification is to either eliminate part of or all of or modify the landing gear, the skids such that uh, they have less total area in the airflow. And so you can do it a number of different ways. Uh, So Quinn, the example you gave, Dan, Quinn basically 
I want to say he completely chopped off one of the two plastic skids and removed the skid tubes. So now basically all he had was one. I think it was the front set of skids that sat there and perched on two points. And then he used the tail fin in the back sort of as a reverse tricycle looking gear uh, to, to balance the third point. And that's how the thing landed and took off. Um, Nick chopped up his Goblin 500 original by completely removing the front landing skids and only leaving the back landing skids with no carbon fiber. Yep. So it kind of looked like, um, well, it kind of looked like a ghetto Goblin Speed. Yeah. If I'm being honest. Yeah. So that is uh, that's one way that you can modify the heli. Uh, There are other ways uh, where you can get a little bit more crazier with the canopy. Quinn did this as well. I think he found some heavy duty plastic film, kind of like what the uh, blade boxes are made out of the sort of see through plastic. And he wrapped that around certain portions of the canopy. Uh, to close out some of the holes. And the reason why that's important is because there there are a number of different types of drag or buckets of drag that uh, make up the overall drag effects on a model. Um, One in particular, and and the the one that is the biggest issue between a pod and boom and a fuselage is called profile drag. And that's what happens when you've got, um, you lack large, sweeping smooth angles and instead your airflow is flowing over your canopy oh and then it gets to the back of the canopy and it falls off of a cliff like the airflow coming over the top of a semi truck right Mm -hmm. drops off the side we get vortices and detachment and that causes the drag to go through the roof so you can kind of streamline things and smooth out the canopy a little bit by adding bits and pieces and that's what quinn did uh frankly what you will likely have to do more than anything and unfortunately it doesn't come into the aesthetics is modify bits of the heli such that you can get the cg set up correctly and the key on the center of gravity is that you want nose down on a speed heli okay so if you do the knife edge trick Uh, You want to shoot for, in the very least, a 10 to 20 degree nose down angle. Some models, you need to get even more than that, depending on their flight characteristics in the air. Why? Because uh, the idea behind the speed run, and now this gets into your technique, Nick. The idea behind a speed run is to hold a straight, solid line, okay, across the field. Don't worry about the the length of the course yet. It could be 100 meters. It could be 200 meters. It could be 50 meters as long as you're able to hold a straight line. And uh, to hold that straight line and have uh, the disc presented to the oncoming airflow in such a way that you're actually getting uh, a fair amount of thrust out of it, you need to have the nose down. So it's not a surprise that when you watch speed helis, they're not flying with the disc horizontal, right, level with with the horizon. It's tipped forward by 10 to 20 degrees. 
the reason why we want the nose, uh, the CG to be nose heavy is because you want the model to naturally sit in that orientation, hands off the sticks as you run your line. If it does not, then what you find that you have to do is you've got to hold forward cyclic, right? And let's go back to retreating blade stall. If I'm at 15 degrees of collective pitch, I'm trying to hold a nose down angle, but the heli doesn't want to do it. It wants to pitch up. So what do I do? I feed in more elevator. Well, when I feed in forward elevator, that actually increases the pitch on the retreating blade. Yeah, and that if makes I'm, sense. You see what I mean? And so you put yourself even further towards the retreating blade stall side of things until you get a pitch up. So set your CG nose heavy, and it's an iterative process such that you can literally set your line and hold it, and you can take your hands off the transmitter. Nice. Okay, so to get into the speed run, what do we do? We start with stall turns. So basically get yourself get yourself set up where you take off the heli in low head speed. Don't ever flip into your idle up for speed flying right in front of you. Choose what direction you want to come from first, left to right or right to left. Get out there, side in, start moving slowly down towards that direction. Once you're far enough away, a couple, you know, tens of meters, hundred feet or so, flip into idle up, make sure everything's still okay. Nothing flew off the model. It's still going in the same direction. And then slowly pull yourself up uh, to an altitude of, say, a couple hundred feet. And this is key. We're starting this. Okay, we're starting the run. We don't have any forward speed yet. If I throw full collective in so that I can get moving and I can pull up into a stall turn, I'm eating battery and I am overcurrenting my ESC. So just pull yourself up just like you were going to set up for an auto, right? Pull up, level, turn the nose towards the direction you're going to go, and then zero pitch forward elevator until your knife edge and drop down through the the stall turn and what you want to do to begin with is to once you know that you have uh you're at zero collective and you're doing a nice clean knife edge drop uh as you begin to round the bottom of the curve to to level out start putting in collective and don't worry about how much collective you put in. Make it a goal in your head that when the heli starts to look like it's coming level with the nose down angle, stop adding collective. And then just hold the line. Okay? On the backside coming out, uh, once you've, you've got this great line, you got to actually pull up and not blow up your ESC. So what you do is you do a smooth motion of pulling collective out while putting back elevator in and you climb back up into the stall turn, do your pirouette at the top, zero pitch first, and then drop back in and do it again. The reason why you don't want to focus on what your collective is going into the run is because if it if that's your goal is to get to full collective, 
then you'll always get to full collective and you'll never have a clean run. Your run will balloon because you'll realize all too late that you don't have full collective in. So in an effort to save it, you push it all up and the heli isn't at the right angle and it basically just climbs and you get a nice shitty run. Cool, man. I'm ready to try it. You gonna you gonna do it up, Nick? I think so. I mean, I f- I feel like I'm, you know, the 500 sport for me is gonna be the ticket. I'm not I'm not going broke on anything. It's all very very reasonable, you know, components that I'm gonna pick for it, and I got enough of a taste for it at our fun fly that that was, I mean, you know, 113, 115 or whatever. That was cooking, and if I can do that on two runs then what can I do you know if I really practice and that you know imagine imagine that with 50 60 70 practice flights in I got my technique down we get into some some more advanced entries she'll be hauling there's one limiting factor when it comes to speed helicopters and me oh I know what you're gonna say just can't see it yep I just cannot see it at the extremes. It's the site. Well, yeah, and that, you know, that's never a do good point, Dan. So, I mean, you know, tonight we just got started with sort of the basics and how do you do it with a model that you've already got. I think the next part, uh, the, the second part of this topic, we will actually get into more of the details of flying and what to look for, how to sight the model. And I got some tricks for you on if you're the actual pilot, how to make sure you've got things in the right orientation so that you don't lose it. Yeah, I think it's one of those, I a lot of times when I'm watching Justin fly, I'm going like, woof. I know what he's doing because I've watched him do it, but visually it's very tough to see. I really do believe that is a case of where it's a lot different when you're doing it yourself. Yep. I think it I is mean, absolutely Dan, that Dan, I know for a fact that you have the skill to go up and to do a stall turn, a nice, clean stall turn um, on just as much stick movements and memory as visual. Yeah, but when I can't see it, I start to panic. Yeah, that's true. And that, well, and that's what, you know, that's why easing into it is a lot better. Yep. And you know what, dude? Not everyone needs to or wants to be competitive in it. Some people just want to fly fast, and that means you don't have to adhere to any particular course length. If speed flying That's for true. you is, uh, is you know, 150 feet, you're good to go. I mean, w- when you think about it, the full FAI-style uh, 700 class course uh, like that we fly at uh, Urcha Speed Cup or, you know, one of those events... It is 200 meters of main course with two 100-meter pre-stages on either side. That's a 400-meter course over which the heli needs to be flat and level. So we're talking about a quarter of a mile per run. That puts it into perspective. From your point as the pilot, that model can be as far away as an eighth of a mile or more from your current location on either side of the course. That would be one expensive run for me. <laughs> a single one, right? <laughs> <laughs> Don't got it. 
<laughs> Excellent. So we're going to do a, uh, a part two of Speed Heli, right? Yep. yep. Probably in a couple weeks because you're going to be gone. Yeah, next week I'm at OHB. So I think you guys are going to do your own thing and then I will show back talk about up. you. Yep. Talk shit. Absolutely. Yeah. I may uh, I may give you a call Friday night and give you a hard time while you're recording. We'll see. Oh, that'd be fun. Yeah, yeah. And then I will be back on episode, what is this, 211, so 213, and we can finish up with part two then. All righty. Well, maybe we should wrap this one up. Huh? Are there any uh, announcements we want to make? Uh, store, website, how's that coming along? All that good jazz. I know we mentioned the website earlier, but do we have a tentative? Uh, we're getting that? closer. He's definitely getting closer. The He's got the, the front page is really starting to do it, and that's the, you know, kind of the backbone. I know our website is still going, and if you have any questions about shirts, hats, citizen numbers, you can always shoot Ken an email, ken at rcalienation.com. He is the guy to talk to. He'll get you taken care of ASAP. Facebook's coming along nicely. I haven't even checked lately. we got to be pushing 5,000 soon, don't Getting we? close, really yeah, close. it's 40, I don't even know what it is. It's a lot. 40, 47, something like that. Any other tidbits of information we want to leave people with before we head out. Gowie R5 written review is live on the website. So go check it out. Go check that out. Yeah. All right. How about some emails? Nick, if I wanted to get in touch with you, how would I do that? You would send me an email at nick at rchelynation.com. How about you, Justin? You would send me an email to justin at rchelynation.com or catch me on the forums or Facebook as Justin Pucci. If you wanted to get a hold of Jesse, you could find him at jesse at rchillianation.com. He's also on Facebook. I'm Dan. You can reach me at dan at rchillianation.com. Dan, can you read on the forums and on Facebook as well? Let's see, the guys, this uh, pretty much sums it up. This has been episode 211. We sure hope you enjoyed listening to this episode as much as we've enjoyed making it. Have a good week, guys. We'll see you next Monday. Later. Take it easy, dudes. This has been a production of RC Heli Nation LLC and is brought to you by Soco Heli Tools, Progressive RC, Rev Electrics USA, Lower Heli, BK Servos, and Spartan Flybarless Systems. If you have any comments or questions, please feel free to send us an email. <laughs>